This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. The first federal prosecution of a former or current president of the United States. Donald Trump arrived in Miami ahead of his arraignment after being charged with mishandling classified documents and obstructing justice. Sources close to Trump's legal team tell CBS News they expect him to plead not guilty. Security is tight between Secret Service protecting Trump and federal, state, and local law enforcement officials on alert for protests. Some crowd estimates are in the thousands. She made history as the first woman to lead the NYPD. And less than 18 months later, Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell reveals she, she will be stepping down. Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell's departure came as unexpectedly as her appointment. The 51-year-old top brass writing in an internal email Monday, I've made the decision to step down from my position. Sewell has not given a date for her official last day, and the mayor has made no mention about a possible replacement. Without one, the interim leader would be first deputy commissioner, Edward Caban. Mayor Eric Adams has signed an executive order protecting gender-affirming health care. The executive order will protect access by preventing the use of New York City resources, perhaps by other states who are trying to detain, investigate, or prosecute individuals for providing or receiving gender-affirming care. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, gender-affirming care can refer to an array of services that may include medical, surgical, mental health, and non-medical services. Nineteen states have passed laws restricting gender affirming care. It's over. At last, the long wait is over. After 47 years, the Denver Nuggets can finally call themselves NBA champions. He was born in the summer of his 27th year. Coming home to a place he'd never been before. He left yesterday behind I'd say he found the key for every door. When he first came to the mountains, his life was far away. On the road, hanging by a song. But the string's already broken, and he doesn't really care. It keeps changing fast, and it don't last for long. Certainly is Rocky Mountain High this morning. You heard it, the end of the open. Our dear friend, (laughs) Hall of Famer Mike Green, after 47 years, the Denver Nuggets are your NBA champions, beating the Miami Heat in five games. 
the late, great John Denver, Rocky Mountain High, the Denver Nuggets, who, of course, started in the ABA. That was a great league, the ABA. Some great coaches. I think both UB Brown and Larry Brown were there. At any rate, they had some great players over the years, guys like Dan Issel, Alex English, Fats Lever, a young Kiki Vandaway. Then, of course, not that long ago, former Nick great Carmelo Anthony, after winning the NCAA championship at Syracuse, was drafted by the Denver Nuggets, spent seven years in Denver, and actually one year with Chauncey Billups, led the Nuggets to the Western Conference Finals, albeit a loss to the Lakers, but Carmelo was a tremendous player in Denver, one of the all-time greats, but none of these guys ever won the big one. And now this Jokic comes into the league, and he has become an absolute force. And the one-two punch of Jokic and Murray in Denver may be the best in the NBA. And, yes, Rocky Mountain High, 47 years. Lewis, your Denver Nuggets are the NBA champs. There he is, Mike Breen. Bang. Somewhere Phil is still drunk somewhere. <laughs> he loves Jokic. Definitely, uh, God, I miss Phil. Somewhere. I haven't seen Macedonia Phil in like two months. Yeah, you have haven't seen him. Yeah, because he's you're gone before he comes Way in. Way gone. Yeah. He looks uh, the same. Do they still call him Macedonia Phil or is he just Phil now? No, he's Phil. He was on his way to becoming a big star. All kidding aside, like I would have people stop me and say, I love that Phil guy. <laughs> and now he's been relegated once again to just like, like a like Greg Kelly's board up or something. Yeah, I don't know. Really, I God, it's him. so disappointing. I know. I miss him. They ruined him. They ruined it. Well, I'm sorry. You never know. They thought it was, like, personal with me, too. Like, I didn't care. All I asked for, if you, if you take somebody away from me, replace them. But it was hard to replace Phil because he cut sound, he can run the board, and, oh, yeah, he was actually funny. Unique. Yeah. He was in his own. Uh, so they screwed me there, but I still got a seven. Just so you know, anybody who takes credit for the success of this show needs to stop. The credit is right here. The guy talking right now. Who else is taking credit? Well, it doesn't matter. The guy talking (laughs) right now gets all the credit. Because truth be told, along the way, I've had to overcome some obstacles. People have argued with me about a whole variety of things for years, for years. Even dating back to the Bernie days. They wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. And I want to tell folks that yesterday, just yesterday, the May book came out for the month of May, and we got a 7.07. Let me say it again. Most shows in this market can't get a three. In fact, on this station, they don't. Outside of Frank Morano and maybe Dominic, they don't get a three. We got a seven. Far and away, number one. We did lose for the first time in a long time, one week last month. We lost week three in May to Jim Kerr and uh, Q104, but we slaughtered them in the monthly 12-plus ratings. So now we've got sevens in April and May and waiting on June. And if June goes well, we will once again, for the third, I believe, consecutive book, be number one by a distance, by a distance. Boy. Yes, that guy was great, the great Neil Rogers. So the Nuggets win, but uh, the big story today <clears throat> here in New York is, and it's ironic because me and Curtis were talking about this just yesterday. Curtis 
on 705 every weekday morning, has just done an outstanding job on this show. Outstanding. And ironically, yesterday, I forget why, Curtis and I started talking about Keyshawn Sewell. I don't even remember why. And he was saying, you know, she's frustrated and Madri and Eric Adams. They don't let her do her job. He said all these things just yesterday morning. You know, she shows up at ceremonies. She shows up at parades. But when she tries to do something, which includes disciplining uh, Madri, they won't let her do it. And everybody knows she's getting fed up. And literally hours after that, hours, same day, she announces she's stepping down. I can't help but think that Commissioner Sewell must have been listening to me and Curtis, specifically Curtis, and said, you know what? This is getting embarrassing because she likes me a lot, a lot. I've seen her a bunch the last couple of months. And when I tell you how warm and sweet she is, and I thought it was odd because I literally saw Keyshawn Sewell twice over a four-week period. Right downstairs from my old apartment. I'm leaving tomorrow, thank God, in Battery Park. Right downstairs is the NYPD Memorial Wall. The names of officers, men and women killed in the line of duty. And about a month ago, came home one day from work, and I saw about a 1,000 cops, including my good buddy Paul DiGiacomo, who uh, runs a DEA, of course, not Drug Enforcement, Detectives Endowment. And it turns out that day they were unveiling 77 new names on the wall. Now, I knew that, too, because the lovely Margot Katsimatidis had told me earlier that morning that she had a friend there, and I believe his name was Capra, who lost his wife. So I show up. They unveil 77 new names. All the big wigs are there. They've got a podium set up right on the water. And Keyshawn Sewell speaks, but who's not there? The mayor. And I'm saying, wait a second. Former cop, 77 names of dead officers. The commissioner is there. No Mayor Adams? No Mayor Adams. I thought it was odd. I asked a couple of questions. I moved on. Now, fast forward two weeks later, about three weeks ago. This is a Sunday morning. I get it, Sunday. But my buddy Tom Biggers is out there. And Tom is in charge of the NYPD Marathon Running Group. They run a 5K every year. But, of course, the ceremony takes place right by the Memorial Wall. And once again, there's a really nice ceremony. Biggers is there. The chaplain is there. Pat Lynch, of course, Mr. PBA, and Keyshawn Sewell. And guess who's not there? The mayor. So I'm saying, wait a second. Two events for cops down by the Memorial Wall. The commissioner is there, no mayor. There's got to be something going on. So about two weeks ago, I didn't tell you guys this, I reached out to Fabian Levy, and he is Mr. City Hall. You know, he's the guy that I speak to occasionally if I can't get in touch with the mayor. And I said, hey, Fabian, let me ask you something. I know Sewell likes me, and I like her. I say nice things about her on the air all the time. Why am I having such difficulty getting her on the show? He says, I don't know. Let me make a call. Now, every time Fabian Levy promised to make a call for me about the mayor, I heard back in a day. Two weeks have gone by. I've heard nothing from Fabian Levy. You know why? 
He couldn't book her because she couldn't. So now it's all starting to make sense. I did not see Adams and Sewell in the same place at the same time at two very big ceremonies, events for the cops over the last month and a half. And when I tried to book her, everybody was very, very nice. It never happened. So as it turns out, after about a year and a half, the first ever female police commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell, said, I've had enough. Now, I've heard uh, Noam Layden did a tremendous job this morning. I want to give Noam a lot of credit. He put together his news show today from 5 to 6, and it was flawless. And he actually did a very good job of pointing out some of the things that uh, Sewell did, whether it's getting cops, raises, you know, she worked with the union, got the cops a couple more bucks. Some of these crime numbers, June 11th, crime was up this year less than 1%. Meanwhile, murders were down 12.5%, rape down 9.5%, transit crime down 7.9%, and shootings down 25%. This comes from Nome this morning. So she did some good things, clearly. But um, she was 1,000% handcuffed by... Adams and Banks and Madry and all these folks, just like Curtis Sliwa told you yesterday. And now she go. But as Noam said this morning, she's a very private person. I think he even played a cut from Terrence Monaghan, who said that, the former chief. And we may never really know exactly why she left, but we know. Because as irony would have it, right here on this show, this show, 7.10 a.m. yesterday, Curtis told you everything you needed to know. And she quit hours later. So when people say, we're not exactly sure why she quit, all you have to do is go back and listen to yesterday's segment with me and Curtis, and you'll know why. It's all right there. It's all right there. Peter King loved uh, Sewell. Pete joins us 8.40 every Wednesday. Of course, she came over from Nassau County, Peter was on with John Katsimatidis last night. He's uh, very, very upset. A bunch of people went straight to social media. Former police commissioner Bernard Carrick, who joined me coming up at 810 this morning, furious with the mayor, saying nice things about Sewell, Peter King as well. bunch of big-time folks in this city defending and praising the commissioner, hammering the mayor. Peter King on Katz last night, Lewis, this is cut number 17, praising the former police commissioner. I have known Keyshawn for years. It's a terrible loss for the city. She is as good a commissioner as we ever had. I don't think anyone's ever been more popular with the rank and file. She had a lot of obstacles to overcome all around her. But she fought as hard as anyone did. She did a great job. And this is a terrible loss. I don't know what the mayor was thinking of or other people at one police plaza were thinking. This is a terrible loss for the city. Keyshawn Sewell is incredibly professional, hardworking, 24-7, a real cop who has excelled at everything she's ever done, including being the NYPD commissioner. She was also the only active commissioner ever honored by the PBA. So they tried to get some response from Mayor Eric Adams yesterday on why she decided to resign. And as you could predict, he didn't give you one because he's probably embarrassed. And once again, I believe he will be at the center of this and not a good center. Here it is, the attempt by the New York Post to get something out of Mayor Eric Adams. This, Lewis, 
is cut number 18. Mr. Mayor, I'm wondering I'm, uh, if you were surprised by the police commissioner's... Charles, come on. You, let, let me walk with the mayor, please. Mr. Mayor, were you surprised by the commissioner's resignation today? Did you have a heads up beforehand? Thank you for asking. We're not answering questions. What do you make of those reports, though? Welcome to read it. That she was... That certain... Who is going to replace her? Going Who would you like to have replace her? Getting in the car. You can read the statement and put it in your story. Were you Thank surprised, you though, asking. Mr. Mayor, by her Thank resignation? You Were you anticipating going this? Going in the car. You know what? I think I'm aware of my Mr. Mayor, do you have any other thoughts to add about the police commissioner's resignation? Yeah, that went well. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess Ed Caban is the acting commissioner now. I don't know if, in fact, he will get that job full time. You know, who will know, Curtis Sliwa. He's coming up again in about 40 minutes. Make sure you're right here for that. So that is the major local story. Denver Nuggets win their first ever NBA championship. It took 47 years. Commissioner Sewell steps down as police commissioner. And the biggest story in the country today is Donald Trump, the former president Set to be arraigned in a Miami courtroom coming up at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And everybody's talking about the president. Folks like me defending him. Uh, Folks like Chris Christie all over him. In fact, Chris Christie was on CNN yesterday. Christie announced he's running for president last week. And here's what the fat bastard had to say about the Trump indictment. This, courtesy of CNN, Lewis, Chris Christie, cut number one. It is a very tight very detailed, evidence-laden uh, indictment. And the conduct in there is, is, is awful. I mean, put aside taking the documents in the first place. But then when you start getting asked, Anderson, in May of 21, nicely, with a letter from the archivist saying, could you please give it back? And you ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Then they come with a grand jury subpoena. And then, according to the indictment, you tell your lawyers, tell them we don't have anything even though you have dozens and dozens of boxes of material. Um, That's obstruction of justice, if it's true. So there's another presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, out of South Carolina. She also went after Trump, called him reckless. This is courtesy of Fox News. All the Trump competitors coming out now. Nikki Haley, Lewis, cut number 12. If this indictment is true, if what it says is actually the case... President Trump was incredibly reckless with our national security. More than that, I'm a military spouse. My husband's about to deploy this weekend. This puts all of our military men and women in danger. If you are going to talk about what our military is capable of or how we would go about invading or doing something with one of our enemies. And if that's the case, it's it's reckless. It's frustrating. And um, it causes problems. And, you know, we're looking now, this is the second indictment. We're looking at possibly a third indictment um, coming in with Georgia. My concern is not so much about how this, you know, plays out and what we do with it. My concern is about the direction of the country. The fact that we cannot have Biden win this election. We cannot go through Biden or Kamala Harris winning this election. We've got to have someone that can win a general election. All right, so you get Christie and Haley running directly against President Trump. Not exactly positive. Let's go to Jim Jordan, my friend, the great senator out of the state of Ohio. He was on with Dana Bash on CNN. 
and he defended President Trump as he should. This, Lewis, is Jim Jordan, cut number nine. The indictment said Trump directed Nada, who's his personal aide, to move boxes before Trump attorney won June 2nd review so that many boxes were not searched and many documents responsive to the May 11th subpoena could not be found and were, in fact, not found by Trump attorney one. In plain English, this alleges that Trump instructed his aide to help him remove sensitive documents in defiance of a federal subpoena. A, does that trouble you? And B, if he thought that he had the right to have these documents, why was he trying so hard to hide them? No, it, it doesn't bother me because, again, you can't have obstruction of, a, of, of something when there was no underlying crime. The standard is set. The standard is, the standard is what the Constitution says, and the Commander-in-Chief, the President of the United States, has the ability to classify and control access to information. That's what the Constitution the and the States Court have anymore. said. So you can't obstruct when there's... There's, there's, well, you can't obstruct he when there's no underlying crime. He is not the president crime. of the United that States. That is the fundamental flaw. If you, and you're just taking and him at his word. he declassified the material. He's but been, he says point blank, he says that. point blank on tape, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't. He says in his own words, it's on tape as part of this indictment, that he did not declassify the material. Therefore, it is Dana, classified. Saying he, saying he could have saying he could have is not the same as saying he didn't he said, he said now he i can't declassify this material he said that mean now he can't right right because he's not president now but when he was which president, means he that it's classified god he's he so that. annoying shut up dana bash lara trump will join me at 8 30 of course she's married to trump's son eric trump's other son donald jr has been dating my friend kimberly guilfoyle for many many years kimberly guilfoyle's ex-husband gavin newsom the governor of the state of California, on with Sean Hannity last night. We'll get that for you. But Gilpoyle says, wait a second. Trump had power over these documents. What about Biden? This is from Katz and Cosby last night. Kimberly Gilpoyle, cut number 11. This is unprecedented that they're going after him and utilizing something so antiquated as the Espionage Act. It is not applicable. The president has the power, the right, the authority under the Presidential Records Act to be able to declassify documents that were created during his presidency. I'll tell you, didn't have the authority to do so. Uh, Joe Biden, because he wasn't president, uh, president at the time. So this all, you know, preceded for him his time in the office. But that's the guy that should be investigated and impeached, not to mention the bribery and corruption scandals. And that coming out the exact day, the fact that he got you know millions of dollars for this, um, you know, improper foreign dealing and influence. The same time that they decide to release this indictment against the president, it's just it's shameful. By the way, the DOJ has decided not to indict Joe Biden, of course, at least up to this point. That was Kimberly Gilfoyle. That kicks us off here today. We got an amazing, I mean it, an amazing array of guests covering today's Donald Trump arraignment, covering Keyshawn Sewell stepping down as the NYPD's commissioner. We kick it off at 640 with the great defense attorney, my dear friend, Arthur Idala, 705, the MVP of WABC, Curtis Sliwa. Take a bow, Curtis. He'll be here at 705. My man, talking about great cops. Bo Deedle, maybe he'll be the next commissioner. He's coming up at 740. Former NYPD commissioner, Bernard Carrick, he's coming up at 810. Lara Trump, my girl, coming up at 830. We'll talk to Daniel Penny's attorney. How about that? Thomas Kniff, after Penny released those videos a couple of days ago. He'll be here at 845. And Donald Trump confidant and buddy Roger Stone 
now here at WABC. He'll join me at 9.05. It's a Monster Tuesday edition of your favorite talk show in New York City. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Rocky Mountain High Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain fire in the sky Friends around the campfire And everybody's high Rocky Mountain High Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. John Legend, one of my son Gabriel's favorite songs, best you've ever had by John Legend. You know what I did a couple nights ago? Before I get back to all these uh, news and eight great guests today, eight of them, covering everything from the Sewell resignation to the Trump arraignment today, is uh, we decided, I think, Sunday night, Danielle and I, saw a really good movie, we got it on Netflix, it was called Missing, great movie, to watch Sylvester Stallone's reality show. We loved Tulsa King. We loved it. But now he's got the reality show. So how it works is the first episode of Stallone's reality show is free. And I think we saw that. Well, I forgot now. Maybe Paramount Plus. I don't even remember. And then after that, starting with episode two, you have to pay for the Stallone show. And they show you Sly on the Tulsa King set. I guess it turns out he spent six months on the road, my man Rocky Rambo, six months on the road in Oklahoma and other places doing Tulsa King. And then you see him on the cell phone right off the bat talking to his daughter, one of his three beautiful daughters, saying, Daddy's coming home. And next thing you know, in California they they live, uh, the Stallones, Sly's home. And he's got his wife, Jennifer. They've been married a long time. And he only got divorced about 100 times. And his daughters, Sophie is one, uh, Sistine, some weird names, but all beautiful. And I thought it was fascinating. I thought, I know people said to me, it's lame. It's I loved it to see Sly 
interact at home with his daughters. Now, they, they, they rarely saw him because they said right there they would interview him each one at a time. He was never home, never. He would go on these movie sets, and he'd be gone for four, four or five months at a time. So they very, very rarely saw their father. When he came home, very loving guy. Says, I love you to every daughter, hugs him, kisses him. Clearly very nice to them financially, but never saw him. So when he got home after filming Tulsa King, you can see there was some nervousness. And that's weird. Like for your father to walk in. One of the girls even admitted to his daughter, she said, I still get nervous when he walks in. It's like Rocky is walking in. Yeah, Rambo, make, it's your nervous. father. Yeah, he's still making nervous, I think. But it's their father. Yeah, that's weird. But he's just never there. Is he funny? And he's a big star. Is he funny? Yeah, he's funny. He's good. He looks like he would be funny, like He subtly. was. He's a one to scene. He's sitting there with Al Pacino, and he goes to him, yeah, we're making some mob thing. He goes, ever play a mobster? <laughs> Al Pacino. Um, but, yeah, it's cute. And, and you know, his family's very, very pretty. And he's he looks great. He looks great. I mean, I know he's had some not-so-great face work, but for mid-70s and the shape he's in, I'll take that right now. And I've always loved Sly, so if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. We're going to buy the rest of these episodes when we get back to Rockaway, which could be as early as tomorrow, but uh, the first few we really enjoyed. Have you seen this, Lewis? No, that's why I'm, I'm curious, but it looks You'll like good. it. Yeah, he looks like he would be Are funny. you a big Stallone fan? I like, uh, yeah, I like I love him. Love I'm him. not. I'm not a huge. I'm not a fanatic about the Rocky movies. Like everybody, oh, yeah, right. I'm fanatic. Down. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm fanatic about the first three. Clearly, Rocky <laughs> Four with Drago, he starts to go the other way. That's where they kind of jump the shark. If you ask me, people say Rocky Three, he jumped the shark. I disagree. Club of Line, great movie. Rocky Four, when he's working out in the ice and snow in Russia, <laughs> and then he wraps himself in the flag at the end of the fight and has his message for the Russian people. That was beyond silly. So for me, four, he jumps the shark. But certainly, Rocky Rocky II is my favorite movie ever. See, I always say to people, no, Sid, Rocky. I didn't know who he was in Rocky One. I didn't know Rocky Balboa. Well, that's the part of it. You don't know who he is. Right. That's so, why it's uh, supposed uh, to be. That's yeah, why it... But that's why I enjoyed Rocky II more. Because I fell in love with Rocky Balboa after Rocky One, And I remember going to see Rocky II. And I wanted him to really win. Because I loved him. And the best scene for me maybe in movie history, is when his wife wakes from the coma and says, come here, come here. <laughs> win, Rocky, win. I say that now I get chills. I couldn't enjoy Rocky 1 as much as Rocky 2 because I didn't know who Rocky Balboa was. Rocky 2, I loved him. And the rest of the movies, I want them to win every time. And I like Creed too. Those are good movies, especially the first one. But uh, for me, after Rocky 3, it was over. But I idolize Sylvester Stallone. Did you like Rambo? Um, uh, it was entertaining. But stupid, obviously. Yeah, well, of course, stupid. It's I was also, with my friends, and my friends were making fun of it the But, you know, time. if you think it's about it, it's also more than stupid. It's actually disrespectful for people like John McCain, who rotted in prisons yeah. for years for Stallone and, uh, and, you know, what's his name, did the same thing, Chuck Norris or Jeff Speakman, to show up and take out 100,000 Vietnamese by themselves and rescue everybody. I thought it was lame, silly, silly. and disrespectful. Silly. Right. He's great in um, Copland. Great in that. He gained a ton of weight. Nobody liked it. Harvey Keitel was great in that, too. 
Yeah. And I agree with you. He was great in that. Yeah, that was uh, a, that's a long time, long time ago. But that was a good movie, really but good. Tulsa King and the Reality Show. Right now, it's Stallone. My man's a man, a Rocky, Rocky Balboa. Every time, every time a white man was Rocky Marciano, Rocky Marciano, he look, beat Joe Lewis's ass. Look up, he's the Almighty Rock. <laughs> that scene though gets old. Uh, the hospital bed scene that gets that, old. You're an idiot. Well, Never I, gets old. I see it at every single Eagles well, game well, I've he, gone he, to in in my in the entirety of my life. But they play every movie. It's not just that scene. A, they do the Rocky marathons over and yes, over and you, over again. Right, but when they're rallying towards the end of towards the end of the game, they play that scene specifically. Oh, Rocky too. They play that well, scene specifically. Listen, it, that's be, it's, it's a great really? scene. Yeah, well, that's very, the one. Very and it gets the crowd going, but I'm just Come saying. on, man. And he starts to run. They play the Rocky music. Rocky 2, for me. For me, loved it. So with that said, as we get set to usher in a bunch of great guests, Arthur Idala is a lot like Rocky. Can you see that? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That was a stretch. <laughs> Arthur Idala running up the steps. I can see it. Okay. Wearing one of his uh, fedoras like he likes to wear in his fancy suits. I can see it. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Running out of the subway. <laughs> but we do have some tough guys stopping by today. Bo Deedle, Bernie Carrick, all those guys are going to be here. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. The Denver Nuggets beat the Miami Heat 94-89 in Game 5 of the NBA Finals to secure their grip around the Larry O'Brien Trophy and assume the title of 2023 NBA champions on a night when nothing else seemed to work. The Nuggets leaned on old reliable in Nikola Jokic, who was unfazed by the generally frantic style of play on the evening and uh, on his way, I should say, to registering 28 points and 16 rebounds on the night. Not surprisingly, Jokic won the Bill Russell Trophy as the NBA Finals MVP, becoming the first player in history to lead the league in points, rebounds, and assists in a single postseason. The title for Denver marks their first in franchise history. Now over to the Diamond. Both the Mets and Yankees took days off yesterday. They'll meet each other tonight at 7.05 p.m. in Queens for Game 1 of a short two-game set to get the 2023 installment of the Subway Series underway. It'll be a good pitching matchup to look forward to. Luis Severino taking the hill in pinstripes against Max Scherzer in the orange and blue. Also tonight, the Florida Panthers. And well, Vegas I'm going League. to the Met game tonight. I know. I mentioned that uh, earlier, earlier. Oh, you did? Earlier this morning. Well, yeah. thanks to Pete Morgan, me and Gabe are going to be there. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's no Judge. There's no Alonzo. No. Yankees are okay. Mets suck. Yeah. It's going to be a nice night. At, at the at the absolute best, you're watching two wild card teams. Yeah, they're both nine back at this point. Now, yeah. Toronto, now, yeah. of course, Tampa Bay's having a great year, but they're exactly both nine games back. Yankees behind Tampa Bay. Mets behind the Braves. There you go. Mets are in fourth place right now. Fourth. Yeah. No, Mets are three and a half back in the wild card. I know. Yeah. <laughs> at least the Yankees, they're right now uh, currently that second wild card team right above of Houston. Also tonight on the ice, the Florida Panthers, Vegas Golden Knights drop the puck for game five of the Stanley Cup Finals in Vegas at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Vegas 
currently holds a commanding three games to one lead, trying to finish things off tonight on the ice. Here with sports, sponsored by Pete Morgan of Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. Fill the world's best built boilers. And I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Hill on Thursday night. My daughter Ava's buddy Neve is in from London. So we're going to take her, Danielle and I, Thursday to Il Cortil, see my good buddies Tommy and so I got a busy weekend coming up. Friday night, Friday afternoon, I'll be on WFAN with Craig Carton and Evan Roberts. We're going to promote that softball game. We're going to play at John Katzmatidi Stadium on Saturday on Staten Island, raising money for the Joseph Lem Foundation. Carton and Roberts versus Tiki Barber and Brandon Tierney. So Friday afternoon on the fan. Friday night, I'll be on Jesse Waters on Fox News. Jesse Waters primetime. Saturday again, night is the softball game, and Sunday is Father's Day. We're going to Luger. So I got a very, very busy couple of days, and I'm heading home. It looks like after five-plus months, I'll be sleeping in my house in Rockaway for the first time since January, excuse me, since December 28th. I'll be sleeping in my house for the first time tomorrow night. So a lot going on. Now, a lot going on in the legal world as well. This guy's come back for the last couple of months with a vengeance. He's an amazing guest. Great talk show on his own. And uh, right there with Takapina, best defense attorneys in the country, my dear friend, Arthur Idala. Good morning, Artie. How are you, pal? Okay, there's a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to tell you this. The reason, and I'm saying this with sincerity, the reason why both you and I are like Rocky Balboa, two reasons. Number one, okay. number one, we continue to overachieve. You go to Poly Prep 40 years ago, you look at Sid Rosenberg, 
and you ask people, is he going to be the most famous guy in his class? You look at me and you say, is he going to be the most successful guy? There ain't one person in that school who's going to say, yeah, it's Sid and I die. Well, you could add one more person to that. He's going to join me tomorrow, and that's Joseph Tacopina. Now, oh, you were a grade behind me, but in the polyglot one year, and I've told this story a million times, our classmates deemed that the two people least likely to be successful – would be Sid Rosenberg and Joseph Tacopino. That's true. And you're right. And there you are, too. So I like that first comparison to Rocky. Yes. And here's the, and here's the other one. And the other one is this. And, and you and I know each other well enough at this point. No matter how hard we try to succeed at whatever it is that we're doing, if we don't have our wives 100% behind us, yeah. we never really get there with the, the, the zeal and the degree of satisfaction, the degree of achievement. Remember Carl Weathers on the beach? What's the matter with you? (laughs) What's the matter with you? Adrian wasn't behind him in Rocky 3. Well, she wasn't behind him in Rocky 2 or Rocky 3 until. But once she gives him the green light, what happens? He goes crazy. It's the same with Danielle. It's the same with Marianne. You know, she's like, I don't know why you're doing this. And then I do it. I still do it. But it's a different, you know, it's until she's like, okay, fine, go for it. I'm like, yes, baby. So I am, you know, I can tell you a little staff over there. I'll run up any, I'll, I'll run them up <laughs> yeah. to Philadelphia any day of the week. You nailed it. You're right. Uh, both Marianne and Danielle play such an integral part in both of our successes. And well, you're right, whether she says win, Rocky, win, and Rocky to Adrian or on the beach. Because after Weathers yells, Apollo Creed yells at him on the beach. The next scene, he's telling her, I'm scared. I'm afraid, yeah. I'm afraid. I'm scared. Yeah. Okay. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Uh, so that was, those are two excellent points. So now how do you feel, Lewis, now that Artie has made it very clear that he and I are both like Rocky Balboa? I'm backing up. <laughs> yeah, good. Glad you're backing up. Uh, before we get to the Trump stuff and the Daniel Penny stuff, I was talking to our uh, mutual friend Frank Morano, who I really, I, I love this guy. I love him. The great, the great one. He is. He's a great talent. He gets great ratings, and he's a super, super guy. You were right all those years ago. Um, and we were talking about oh, your... Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about it. It's another guy who was on your S list who now is your... Well, no, because people, people, because people uh, who are not here now lied to me and said he didn't like me, he wants to take your job. You know, they all said that over the years. And uh, now I've come to learn, of course, that's not true. But uh, this is what I was told about, Frank, and, and uh, we've had a great relationship since. But he talked about two of your cases, the uh, Maxwell case and the Harvey Weinstein case. I believe both of those cases... One state, one federal, according to Frank, at least, are in the appeal process right now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and they're both. Uh, you know, I could have a real, <laughs> I could have a real doozy of, of a fall because the way. So our briefs have been submitted on both of them, both to their respective courts of appeals, one federal, one state, but both sets of. Just so I know, the Harvey Weinstein's the federal one, and Maxwell is no, state. No, no, the no, other way, the no, other way around. Right, no, right, 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 and. Um, as I would expect, the, the state prosecutors, so Harvey's was filed first, but the state prosecutors keep asking for extensions to put in their response. And the federal prosecutors only ask for one extension. So Sid, here's the issue, is they're actually, the, the, they've caught up to each other. So it's possible that the oral arguments, so I'm going to go before, in the state court there's seven judges, in the federal court it's three judges, that, that, that they can be like in a very within like a week of each other, and oh if that God. happens, I, I I won't know. I would not do both of them. It, it's too much. I'd have someone else in my firm do it. You just, I mean, when you go in front of these 
on these uh, court of appeals cases, unlike a summation, you know, you talked about Takapina summation, you know, and the summations that I do, those you, you script and you know exactly what you're saying. But when you go in front of the court of appeals, any court of appeals or the Supreme Court of the United States, you have no idea what questions they're going to ask you. So you have to be prepared for everything, not just about your case. But if I cite another case, if I say, you know, Judge, in the People versus Rosenberg case, they didn't allow this, but they did allow it in in Harvey's case. Then the judges can start saying, well, tell me about People v. Rosenberg. And now I got to know all the facts of your case. Wow. Besides that, yeah. I mean, and that happens yeah. for like 40 cases. So it's a tremendous undertaking. And you know what the funny part is? You will study for that for two months. And the argument's like 20 minutes. I know. It's funny. Uh, well, then it, it, it does pose the question here. By the way, two detestable people, Ghislaine Maxwell, who worked alongside Jeffrey Epstein and that thing. I know you're our attorney. And Harvey Weinstein. But that's your job, and that's what makes you great. Uh, but one of them, you're going to have to tell, maybe, maybe, one of them you're going to have to tell, I just can't do this. And I would imagine that whether it's Maxwell or Weinstein, the one that doesn't get Arthur Rydala may be very disappointed, No. Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying this for any other reason than it's the truth. I mean, I have really excellent lawyers who work for me. I have two former judges who both did a tremendous amount of appellate work. And then I have Diana, Diana Fabi, who was in the Manhattan DA's office, in the appellate bureau for a decade. But I will tell you, I would prefer to argue Harvey's case only because I tried the case and – you know, you can say whatever you want about him personally, or even the, even the, you can say that he's guilty of everything. I'm not saying that, but like he did not get a fair trial, like in any way, shape, or form. The same way Trump didn't get a fair trial in front of Judge Kaplan. When you have a judge whose thumb is so on the scales of justice, it is a it's a slap in the face, it's a spit in the face to every American. I don't care. If you think Trump did it or Trump didn't do it or Harvey did it or Harvey didn't do it, America is supposed to be so great because of, of, of equity, because of justice, because it's supposed to be equal, equal justice under the law. That's what it says in the Supreme Court of the United States of America. So, you know, I just want these appellate judges to say, no, you know what? You may hate Harvey Weinstein. You may think he's a total I mean, one of those fancy curse words you use on the radio. I don't know which ones you're allowed to <laughs> right. use and which ones you're not allowed <laughs> yeah. to use. Yeah. But, but you know what? He didn't get a fair trial, so we're sending it down to a different judge. Well, we have to send it to a different judge because Harvey's judge did not get reappointed. That's how unfair he was, that your friend, Mayor Adams, and his committee decided this guy should not be on the yeah. bench anymore. Well, about the 60 seconds on this because we'll have about two minutes to talk about Trump. Uh, new judges that the governor, Kathy Hochul, put in place here. She did not get LaSalle confirmed, but she did get one more than one more she appointed as the chief justice. And uh, you may be dealing with the you will be dealing with these new judges uh, in these cases. What about that? Well, I looked. I don't know. I don't know one of the names. I do know one of the two of the judges she did not reappoint. And listen, it's so political. I mean, it is just so it, the the word merit has gone out the window. I, in, in 10 more seconds, I can tell you this. Justice Scalia, who, as you know, I had a very powerful relationship with. He was like an uncle to me. He said to me, I am so disappointed with the current state of the judiciary. He goes, he goes you know, when I was a kid, you know who the judges were? The individuals who were identified as being the greatest lawyer. Like, that guy's a great lawyer. 
let's make him a judge. Now that has nothing to do with it. Zero. Yeah, that's true. The great uh, defense attorney, Arthur Idalic, has two major appeals coming up on his own. Let's get to Trump, and I'm going to uh, let the cat out of the bag. You and I spoke on Friday. Really, right after both of us saw the indictment or parts of the indictment, and we both had the same exact uh, opinion, which is, oh, my God, he's dead. Now, I have come around the last couple of days. I'm not nearly as nervous and upset as I was on Friday. I'm not. I'm wondering about you because, again, Friday, when you first saw the indictment, you said, oh, my God, he's finished, he's done. Do you still feel that way today, hours before he's going to be arraigned down in Miami? Yes. You do? You know. Yeah, I, I think he, yes, he's got tremendous problems. I, I again, this is what I do all the time, and I can tell you, you know, when the when the feds want you, they you know they're going to get you. And look, it may not be fair, but the argument of like, well, Hillary did it and Biden did it, like that may be good for for us and talk radio and us on television, but that's not good enough. Um, you know, in, in the court of but law, the court, the court and, doesn't and, care. Court doesn't care, right? Right. The court, right? The court doesn't care, and. These are look. You saw that indictment. When you read that indictment, you understand what's going on. When you read Bragg's indictment, you had no idea what was going on. It's a simple case. It's not a hard case. Um, so it's yeah. He's 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 got big problems. And today's a sad day for America. I mean, it really is. It's a sad day for America because anytime you have the president, the sitting president. Well, <laughs> listen to me, the sitting president. But you have the guy, not only, and, and here's what Dershowitz is always saying, and he was great on your show yesterday. As you know, I missed it. I went back to make sure I heard it. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, no, he, he was great. What I, you know, what uh, Dershowitz is saying is he's not just the former president. He's also the candidate. He's also the candidate and the leading candidate. Which, by the way, you know, he, he brings up all the time, Trump, and says, if I wasn't the leading candidate, this never would have happened. So he believes that the reason, the motivation behind this hunt is that he is, in fact, not just a candidate, but the leading candidate. Yeah, yeah 100%. And look, Dershowitz wrote the whole book, Get Trump, like, whatever, two years ago. Yeah. And basically said, no matter what happens, you know, they're going to they're going to get him. They are going to make sure that they get they're going to make sure that they get him. And he's right. And Trump was I mean, uh, Dershowitz was right. You know, go buy his book because the guy obviously yeah. knew what he was talking about. As you do. You're such a great guest. And uh, thank you again this morning for another amazing appearance. We'll talk again after the arraignment. I want to get your way, thoughts. Sal from Il Cortillo is my partner, Jonathan Zeal's first cousin. Is my, that right? My partner, lives, my partner lives upstairs above Il Cortillo where his grandparents live. Oh, yes. 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 Your We're partner there lives there? He lives there, yeah. Oh, that's first. funny. One twenty-seven. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, that's great. Do you go there? Do you go to Il Cortillo? Yes, of course. I have no choice. I got to go visit John, and that's where we go. <laughs> that's great. I'll be there Thursday. It's a great place. I love you, Artie. Great job. Thank you All so right, much. You're the best, man. Keep you're up the, the best. Great work. Thank you. That's yeah, the man. great defense attorney, Arthur Idala, who did say it's a sad day in America. You know what's funny? What if I told you a Democrat governor, a Democrat governor? from the state of California, said the same thing on Sean Hannity's show on Fox News last night. Well, he did. We'll get to that later. That wraps up hour number one. Great hour. Exciting. Hour number two about to come your way with the two big New York stars, Curtis Sliwa and Bo Deedle. Fasten your seatbelts, New York. Hour two of the Tuesday edition of the Sid Rosenberg Show about to come your way.
Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Come on, man. So yesterday at this time, you know, of course, I bring Curtis Sliwa on every weekday morning at about this time. Started out one day, two days, three days, now it's five, and don't ask me why. You know why. He's great. Some of you guys out there don't like him. I know who you are. <laughs> but the truth is, he's great, and when he's on, we get great ratings, and that's all I care about. A lot of time, folks send me messages. They go, it's not just about the ratings. Shut up, stupid. It's just about the ratings. That's it. And again, a 7.1 in April. And yesterday, I found out I got a 7.0 in May. These are astronomical numbers. Astronomical. No one comes close. You could add up Hannity, Levin, and your third favorite show, they still won't beat me. And Curtis is a major part of that. So yesterday, I've got how the conversation started. But my God, was Curtis Sliwa once again on the money. He started saying, listen, Sewell, they basically castrated her between Adams and Banks and Madry. She goes to ceremony. She goes to parades. But any real police work, she ain't doing it. And Curtis was adamant, adamant that she was angry. And sure enough, you can't make this up. You can't make it up. Four and a half hours after that, we find out that the police commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell, is stepping down. So once again, whether it's been where the migrants are going, thanks to the hard work between him and his wife, Nancy, or in this case, the police commissioner, once again, the guy in this city who's got his finger right on it is my friend Curtis Sliwa. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Sid. And I want to remind everybody that although I'm on five mornings a week now, and I relish every moment, there was that moment that I was up for execution and expulsion by the family for all time. I would have been banned from this show. Yes, we considered doing the Pete Rose lifetime ban. And luckily, Bo Dietl, who I've had a love-hate relationship over the years, has... uh, the man who made the final decision with thumbs up said, no, you got to keep Curtis. This is one big family, and we have been a wrecking crew on so many issues that people know you better stay out of the lane of the family or we're going to crush you. Especially Tuesdays because Bo comes live in Studio 905 Thursday, and he's great. But Tuesdays, I get you both in the same hour. Curtis 705, Bo coming up at 740. That is the best New York hour anywhere, anytime during the week. So, yeah, shocking, because I thought Bo was going to terminate you. And, uh, yeah, ever since then, you guys have been like brothers. Anyway, uh, let's go back to the damn Yankees. Remember the whole premise of damn Yankees? Well, before you go to the damn Yankees, I thought you wanted to take uh, a shot again at my dear friend who was just brilliant defense attorney, Arthur Idella. No, he wasn't. That crybaby, Arthur Idella. Oh, St. Harvey Weinstein. He was such a a misunderstood individual. I hear Paul Sorvino (laughs) from the grave saying, I will kill that mf -er." (laughs) 
How do you even look at yourself representing Harvey Weinstein? And now he wants to represent him on an appeal? Convicted in L.A., convicted here in New York, and here it is. Arthur Idella didn't like the way he was treated by Judge James Burke, who was appointed by Rudy Giuliani, the only law and order judge left. And, you know, every five years you get re-upped. So who did he go to? His his little butt buddy, Frank Caroni, said, Frank, he treated me so bad, you got to tell the mayor oh, come on now. not to get... It's all true. You know, I forgot to tell you, actually, that me, Danielle, Frank, and his beautiful wife, Dee, are having dinner at Michael's together uh, oh, next week. very, very yeah. good. You can uh, ask him how, how he got wine dined in parking line by the Pakistani government with the uh, sale, that's not the gonna lease come up. of yeah. the uh, Hotel Roosevelt for $225 million to house illegal air. But I would say that's probably not going to come up at dinner. Oh, please. But thank you for the suggestion. I'll be more than happy to visit you at Michael's and upset <laughs> your derbs. He'll be gone by the you time you entree is sir. Now, that's Arthur's job. I know you want, I, I understand Harvey's a detestable, oh, horrible human being, but that's Arthur's job. I mean, don't forget, Joe Tacopino represented Yoron Bandersloot. In, in honor of not just, in, in not just, in honor of Paul Servino, who said, I want to kill that mf <laughs> yeah. I want to do an iron shake. I finished sitting sh- uh, shit for uh, the Iron Sheik. Remember how Iron Sheik would go, Puh! I love that. That's what I'd say to Arthur Idell no! for representing no! Harvey Weinstein. All uh, right, fair enough, but that's his job. Now, tell me about damn Yankees. What do you got there? Damn Yankees, you remember the premise. Sure. Washington Senators, lowly last place, makes a deal. I will join the devil in hell. Uh, it'll allow us to beat the Yankees. But the moment they beat the Yankees, what happens? The devil comes and calls them. Uh, Keyshawn Sewell made the damn Yankees pledge. She knew she would not be the police commissioner. She knew from day one out of the many African-American women who came to audition and actually give interviews and such from all over the country. Because remember, uh, Eric Adams, and this is the fruits of your victory, he beat me. It's BPIC. You know what that means? BPIC. Yeah, black people in charge. <laughs> okay. Irish mafia out you go. Remember, right. you had Bill Bratton, you had Ray Kelly, you had James O'Neill, you had Dermot Shea. That's it. Irish need not apply. BPIC. Black people in charge. And I think he spoke to like five different, to your point, black women. One from yeah. Seattle. Right. One, uh, a couple from here. Yeah. So it was going to be a black woman no matter what. The only thing I would say to you is I believe that she thought she would have more power because if she knew all along the deal she was making with the devil to get this job, why would she be so frustrated after 18 months? Well, I'll tell you what. First off, she knew that the person controlling the police department would be Phil Banks. Now, understand this. Phil Banks years ago was like number two in the command, highest-ranking black police officer. Both Ray Kelly and Bill Bratton said he would have made a great police commissioner. Problem is with Phil Banks, he always had a side hustle. Man, more money, more money, more money, more money. He'd be hitting the ATM machines doing what drug dealers and street thugs do, use the ATM machine to launder money. So all of a sudden, two of your peeps, right? The two Orthodox Jews start bribing everybody, including the police, for pistol permits. You know, that's the most corrupt agency of the police department. What year is this now? This is back, oh, about 2012, uh, 2013. Are these the same two guys that gave Bill de Blasio a ton of money? Yes. Same guys. And Norman Seabrook, who's been here, who did jail time for them. And Uh, Rob Astorino, who got the Rolex watch. (laughs) These guys were bribing everybody. So anyway, they befriend Phil. 
Bill Banks, more money, more money, more money for pistol permits. He gets caught up with so many cops at one police plaza. They take him at Teterboro Airport on flights to uh, Las Vegas, and they have an attendant, right? The female attendant is a prostitute. She's going up and down the aisle, beverage, chips, and BJs. Beverage, chips, and BJs. Wow. Right there on now, the flight. Now, this is not really all that important, I understand. Well, wait a second. What, what, what did she look like? I'm Phil, just kidding. No, oh, what, my God. Drop that gorgeous. No, no, come on. Yes. She was oh, hot. Made, the story, pro- made the story even better. Big profiles in the post. Anyway, <laughs> Phil Banks was involved in that. So now the feds are sweating all of these cops down. It's Phil, where'd you get all this money in your bank account? I don't know. You got hundreds of thousands of dollars cash. Where did you get this money, Phil Banks? I don't know. So you know what happens when they close in on the walls? You become a confidential informer first to avoid the execution. He is an unindicted co-conspirator in that action. He became a confidential informer. Charlene McCray kept saying to her husband, 2013, he won the election. You got to make him your police commissioner. You got to make him your uh, police Charlene commissioner. Charlene McCray, of course, the folks that may not know, is Bill, is Bill de Blasio's Right, wife. right. And the one who stole $1.5 billion from the Thrive Program. Right, and guess what? Bill de Blasio, the only smart thing he did, he said, Charlene, shut up. How dare you say shut up? <laughs> I'm going with Bill Bratton. That's my insurance policy. Smartest thing he ever did. But even Bill Bratton said Phil Banks was qualified. I know he's qualified, but he's dirty. He's tainted. He has an office up in the Verizon building in which everybody brings the loot. Nobody has to sign in. He doesn't have an office at City Hall. He's the deputy mayor for public safety. He's not in one police plaza. He's the shot caller. And Keyshawn Sewell knew that from day one. In fact, she wasn't permitted to meet with the chiefs, the deputy chiefs. She only had one meeting a week. And you know who that was with on Sundays? Phil Banks. I mean, clearly, like I said, it was at uh, two ceremonies over the last six weeks down by the NYPD Memorial Wall, including one where they unveiled 77 new names of officers killed in the line of duty. She was there. You would think the mayor, a former cop, would be there, too. Whenever I saw her, he wasn't there, which leads me to believe they haven't liked each other for quite some time. Why wouldn't he be there with her on a day like that? Look, at times he was. But she knew the deal she was getting into. Phil Banks would be the police commissioner. She didn't know anything about the NYPD. So what changes now? So if Ed Caban, your friend, who you like very, very much, fine cop, we'll talk about his brother later. later. But uh, what changes now? Why would Caban have more power than Sewell if Banks is still there? Madry. The name is Madry. He's the head uniform police officer in the department, like number three in charge. He's risen up the ranks. Good street cop. But, man, what you would have to do is extricate his three-piece set. You'd have to, which, by the way, Sewell tried to do. Don't forget, she tried to discipline him just a couple of months, last month. And that turned ugly for well, her. Well, Maybe let me that give was you the two cases. why she left. The best one is, here's Major, right? 75th Precinct. He's got his gumada, Tabby Forster, who's suing the city for, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. She was his driver in the police department oh. all roads lead to your drivers in this case and they're having an affair they're copulating they're fornicating all over the place and then she finds out that even though he's married he's got other gumadas in the police department he's got more than one. Oh my god his libido is out of control and he doesn't even pop viagra so all of a sudden <laughs> she confronts him they have a battle in a park in ozone park they're in plain clothes she pulls out her service revolver <laughs> puts it to his head Right on the little hill. The yeah. residents in Ozo Park, 911, 911. The precinct, everybody comes, emergency service union. He pulls out his badge, right? Tabitha puts her gun down. 
You know who I am, 75th precinct, right, right? Yeah, 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 you're the chief. You never saw this. And for months it went away until somebody dropped on. And then he got in trouble. You know, he only got 40 days, 40 days of less vacation time. The guy should have been taught from the department. But he's a friend of Eric Adams. And when you're elected mayor, your friends come along for the ride. Well, clearly Eric Adams then must have sided with Nandri over the commissioner's Sewell when yes. she tried to discipline him. And that was just about a month well, ago. This one, to piss him off. This one piss was, he used to be the head of the 73rd Precinct in Brownsville. I used to get locked up a lot over there. So did Joe Pepitone. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he walks in. He hears that his very dear friend, former cop, got arrested for chasing kids with a gun. And he goes, no, you release him into my custody. Everybody knew it. You know, he's he, uh, me, Mr. Big Stuff. Let him go through arraignment. He probably would have beat the judge. But he did it boldly and brazenly. The police commissioner had no choice but to say, hey, I'm going to dock you 10 days of vacation. And you know what Jeff Landry said? I'll go, to, uh, I'll go to department trial on this. I'm right. This guy needs to go. Now, these are, the th- these are two of the three who could become the permanent police commissioner. Phil Banks, who's tainted in a crook. Jeffrey Maggi, who can't keep his stuff in his pants. You know, <laughs> he's got ants in his pants, and he needs to dance. Yeah. Every female at one police plaza would be in trouble unless you gave him saltpeter <laughs> or you decided to castrate the guy. Yeah. And then you have my friend, Eddie Caban. Well, tell me about Caban, my uh, buddy Sal Greco right now in Miami providing some, I guess, security detail on this Donald Trump thing. They do expect there'll be a ton of protesters in Miami before Trump's 3 p.m. arraignment later on this afternoon. He's telling me that uh, your friend Caban's brother has had some issues over the years. Yes, he has. But meantime, what does that have to do with Eddie Caban? Eddie Caban, born in Castle Hill. All roads lead to Castle Hill. J-Lo, right? Uh, Jennifer Lopez, my very dear friend, Johnny Gunji Rivera, club king, king extraordinaire, friend of Eddie Caban and his brother, uh, James Caban, and Eddie Cranepool, who you know, although you didn't donate a kidney for him. I no, noticed. I did not. No, no, no. PS, I, I, I like John Milner. P.S. 36, <laughs> Henry Hudson Jr. High School, Monroe High School. They were all in that area of Castle Hill. Eddie Caban and James Caban joined the department together. They served in the Bronx. Eddie first began to understand the synergy between the upper echelon of the police and obviously politicians because you become their driver. He became Freddie Ferrer's driver. No kidding. So he understood the politics. Yes. Then he became Eric Adams' driver when he was Brooklyn Borough President. Look, they are truly friends. They respect one another. In fact, Eddie Caban went to his lifelong friend, Johnny Gunji Rivera, who's the great publicist. He said, Eric would like you to come on board. They met at the Marriott downtown Brooklyn. And Johnny Rivera did their stand-up thing. He said, look, Curtis said he's running for mayor. That's my lifelong friend. You understand that, uh, Eddie? And Eddie said, no, we understand. Look, Adams is my friend. Curtis is your friend. You know, peace be upon you. But my guy's going to crush your guy. <laughs> yeah. And from time to time, I would talk to him in the campaign saying, you know, I've announced that if I'm lucky enough to become mayor, Eddie Caban, I want a Hispanic police commissioner because there's 30 percent of the department and it's growing that's Hispanic. He said, thank you very much. But, you know, I'm Adam's guy. All right. So 90 seconds ago, just an unbelievably fascinating segment. I hope all of New York hears this. If not, they should replay this segment all day on this station, all day. Uh, Eric Adams, how much is he 
the mayor, I know the answer, I'm going to ask you anyway, how much is the mayor, Eric Adams, to blame for this Keyshawn Sewell disaster? Totally, because he made the damn Yankees bond. He went to get Keyshawn Sewell, who nobody knew. I don't want to hear Peter King. Oh, and Laura Kern, she was the best. She was a person of no consequence. Head of the detectives in Nassau County to run the number one police department in the world. Give me a break. Now, here's Eddie Caban. You saw him shadow her everywhere. How come everywhere that Keyshawn Sewell went, Eddie Caban went, number three in the department? In case she didn't know what to do, Eddie was a good confidant. He respected her, and he would whisper in her ear, Keyshawn, this is what you do. So it's time. It's Eddie's time. It's a Hispanic time. He's a great cop. He served in the New Fort Apache in Longwood, 48th Precinct. This is a guy who busted his shoes. He, there was no nepotism here. Irish need not apply. It's time for the Hispanics. If Eric Adams is smart now, he will turn a lemon into lemonade by appointing the first permanent Hispanic police commissioner, Eddie Caban, and the Hispanics who are growing in number and significance in the police department, Dominican and Puerto Ricans, they love being cops. He will be remembered forever, and nobody will ever remember Keyshawn Sewell. I wish her the best, but she was never ready for prime time. It's Hispanic time, Latino time. Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Great start already today. Author Idala, terrific. Curtis Sliwa, amazing. Still to come, Bo Deedle, Bernard Carrick, Lara Trump, Daniel Penny's attorney, Thomas Kniff. 
We'll also speak to Noam Layden and Roger Stone. I do want to send a shout-out right now to my friend Charlie. Right now, all of his folks at SOS Auto Body in Ozone Park are listening to the show. They love the show. Charlie and the guys at SOS Auto Body Zone, Auto Body, I should say, in uh, in Ozone Park. Also, Dove Hyken was on yesterday, and uh, so was Alan Dershowitz, both talking about that CUNY deal where that animal, Fotima Mohammed, had that uh, hate-filled commencement speech where she took out the NYPD, she took out the military, she uh, took out Jews and Israel, and no one's been fired. Nobody. Not the dean of law. Nobody. There have been zero repercussions for all that hate. Well, uh, thank God uh, the Jews, never again, they're stepping up. Hamra Hiking, a whole bunch of folks, and Jew Hatred are actually going to have a rally tomorrow at 5 p.m. outside the law school where this Muhammad animal made that speech. 5 p.m. tomorrow, along with Enju Hatred, Dove Hiking, and a host of others, go out there and uh, yell and scream and raise some hell. Noam, you're like a, like a proud Jew. Your father, God bless him, 91 years old, lives in Israel, just went home after a month yesterday. That's right. Why don't you ever do, why do these things? Why don't you ever do these things? You didn't invite me. Tomorrow, 5 o'clock. Okay. Raise hell outside the CUNY Law School. Where's that going to be? The CUNY Law School. Where is that? I don't know. Oh. That's where that uh, person made that speech, you remember? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. It'll be a big deal. Let me look at it. We up. need you out there. I wonder if I can type it into ways that'll get me there. <laughs> You'll never be anywhere near there. You'll be naked in your apartment in Jersey City. No. Watching reruns of Real Housewives of New Jersey. Well, which, that I do watch. But you I, watch tonight. I'll put it on pause that I do watch. for a moment yeah. to, to come to this rally. Are you going to be there? Absolutely not. <laughs> Whoa, what? Well, I've got something to do tomorrow. What do you have to do? What's more important? Well, i got to take uh, Gabriel to his eighth grade graduation. Oh, well, that's Little Gabe well, is graduating big. eighth grade. He's going into high school. That's okay. unbelievable. That's now, of course, that'll be over for hours by the time this rally starts, but I'll be very emotional after that. Maybe well, you yeah. can bring him over, too, and Maybe. show him, like, this is the way, son. No, I will go. If Dove Hyken reaches out to me, I mean, I'm, and all, all kidding aside, every time Dove reaches out to me, and I've shown up for a bunch of these things, New York Times building, the library. I almost got arrested every time because I can't control myself, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, the, word, the guys that really bother me are the Jews that show up, the Jews that are against the Jews. They do? They show up at these Oh, things? my God. You ever see these animals that no. are there at the Israeli Day Parade? They're Jews. I, I didn't know there was Jews against Jews. Oh, That's absolutely. One. Jews that hate Israel. I might Jews. come just to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like another group going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Jews against Jews. Jews Wait. against Jews. It's a separate protest? I don't I don't know. <laughs> just come out there and raise some hell, will you? <laughs> Sounds organized, right? No? Yeah. <laughs> what if I take the Jews against Jews side? Will you be upset? No, I don't care. Okay. Just fight somebody. somebody. Just, just get mad something. about something. Yeah, come on. Come on. Stay I need you emotional. <laughs> you almost did cry this morning when you did report that after 41 years, Pat Sajak yes. will no longer spin the wheel. Have you ever seen a person in your whole life do a dumber job and make more money? He spun the wheel. He had this, uh, God bless Vanna. She's been in studio with me and Bernie. We fought about this, me and Bernie. She weighs about 30 pounds soaking wet. I mean, she's not pretty. She's got a fine smile, but she's, she's like so skinny, this poor lady. 
and she's up there for like 100 years turning these letters. I mean, it's the dumbest show ever. The contestants are absolute morons. They buy vowels when the word is already figured out. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this guy's up there making like a billion dollars to stand and spin the wheel, and people are like, oh, God, don't leave. Like, so what? Three letters. We'll give you well, the C and T. It's a pet. <laughs> right, pet. Right. Uh, I. Uh, I got I. Can I buy an A? Morons. <laughs> I mean, these are the, the dumbest people, but these are the real Americans. Like the Jeopardy people, they don't really exist because Americans are not that smart. So Wheel of Fortune, that is really a better barometer hey, of what's America. out there. That's America. You know, I watched uh, the kid who plays uh, uh, Mayim Bialik. She was in that 70s show. She played Blossom. Right. She's one of the hosts on Jeopardy, uh, her and Ken Jennings. She is the absolute worst, and I love her. Talking about Jews, nice Jewish girl. She's a horrible game show host. Horrible. She's not good. Oh, God, is she bad. Her voice sucks. She's stilted. She's uncomfortable. She looks terrible. Uh, I don't know. She's just, she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't look comfortable at all doing it. I know. Why she wanted to do it. Just go back to nuclear physics. Whatever she does, yeah. I think I'd be be a really good uh, game show host, but. Yeah. I was thinking after she hears that, she might join me at the Jews Against (laughs) Jews rally. She may be there, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how ironic (laughs) is that as we're speaking about this, Joe and Mika and uh, Geist and Barnacle are talking about the same thing, Pat Sajak retiring. I just don't care. I just, you know. I mean, I watch Wheel of Fortune every now and then, and but it's not like appointment TV. Like I gotta watch Channel Seven, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune. I just don't care that much about it. Do, do you, you guys? Do you remember he was so bored out of his mind after doing the show for so many years that he begged one of the networks to give him an overnight talk show? I used to watch his, his late night talk show. It was yeah. horrible. Oh, it was horrible. It's another terrible program. It's terrible. Not even a year, I think it was yeah. on. He made Magic it. Johnson look like Johnny Carson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? oh, no. That's saying a lot. It is. Yeah. I mean, he's a nice guy. I've met him, actually, at different golf events. and He's a nice enough guy, but it's the dumbest job ever. I mean, so stupid. Yeah, her job and his is terrible. And he made millions and I mean, the amount of money, you wouldn't believe what this guy made. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I've been to camp in the morning with my guy, Gene, you know. And uh, they play, every morning they play a clip from Kelly Ripper's show, and I love Kelly Ripper. I will forever be indebted to Kelly Ripper. The fact that she took my book and put it up in the air on that TV show, which garners about 3 million viewers, I'll never forget that. So I love Kelly Ripper. But that may be the dumbest show next to Wheel of Fortune. And whether it's uh, Ryan Seacrest or her goopy husband, who's a good-looking guy, don't get me wrong. But what a stupid program. And I think she makes about $22 million a year. What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? I got millions of New Yorkers waking up every morning, longing to hear my voice, providing some very serious conversation. And I don't make a million. Not even that close, to be honest. And these people are making $22 million, $30 million, $40 million. What am I doing wrong? No. Well, you know, now that Pat's leaving, yeah. you should put your name I in. I am going to apply for it. Yeah. The me against a Wink Martindale Jr. <laughs> <laughs> you could have Phil turn the letters. I'm not Sidonia Phil. That would be great. That I'd would be that. great. <laughs> See, there, now you've got your click right there. Well, I could, I could actually uh, have you guys kind of, you know, go. You know, you'll do it one day. Justin Ellick will do it one day. <laughs> Noam will do it one day. You'll turn the letters. Yeah. You know who's a horrible game show host, too? It's Michael Strahan. He does a $20,000 pyramid once in a while. He also blows. <laughs> God, is he terrible. And I love that show, but I can't watch it. No, he's terrible. Yeah. yeah. There 
I mean, the guy's made a billion dollars. Fix the damn cap in, cap in your teeth. I know people like that, I guess, but anyway. That says a lot about the public. That's yeah. all it is. That's we we got to get to Bo Deedle. So Bo, I'm sure, has a lot to say about Commissioner Sewell as well. and. Yeah, Whole got, bunch of stuff. He's got his papers all lined he's out. Right he's got it all yeah. spread out. <laughs> Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Come on, folks. That applauded two decades, distinguished himself as one of the greatest cops. In the history of New York City, what an actor. I mean, really a great actor. Great movies like Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, and television shows like The Godfather of Harlem and Gravesend, which is set to air on Amazon Prime early July. I'm in that with Bo Deedle. Also in Gemini Lounge with Bo Deedle. I believe it's called now The Inside Man. And most importantly, uh, just the dearest, the most loyal friend you'll ever have, here for his Tuesday morning appearance, the great Bo Deedle. Good morning, Bo. Hey, Sid, all I know is one thing. I have all my papers spread out because I don't want to miss anything. Let me <laughs> tell you, i got to clean up a little uh, little homework here. Because yesterday I read something, and I'm going to say it on your show. That little that little uh, midget, uh, the housewives of New Jersey, and we're putting this to bed today. All of a sudden, this little punk Joe Gawker comes out, and he has something to say to me that I lied about. I did investigations on the cast members again. I'm telling you right now, Joe, I saw you in Avra. I told you and your wife I did not do that. As far as me doing any other personal investigations for Lou other than the cast members, that's none of your business, you little punk. And I tell you what, if you call me a liar and you want to have a problem with me, I don't think you want me after you. Because I tell you right now, Joe, I'll do the investigations on you for free by me. I don't need Lou to pay for it. You better know who you're talking to. I'm not one of those little punks that you're running around. You might go in the gym there, watch your little muscles, but muscles doesn't give somebody balls, okay? So you better, you want to play with me? I tell you what, why don't you ask some of your friends about me? I'm the wrong guy you mess with, okay? And let's leave that at that. Wow. I will tell you, for folks that don't know, Joe happens to be Teresa's brother, and those two don't talk anymore, and Joe and his wife, Melissa, did not go to Teresa and Lou's wedding, which is disgusting and i'm not sure whose fault it is i don't care but the whole thing is just gross but i don't think it ends today because margaret josephs thinks you're lying a lot of folks on that show well, you know think you they're know lying margaret margaret joseph to kiss my butt <laughs> and all of them can i said it out and i say it again you know what they're confusing and i told andy Cole, don't confuse what i say and i was very specific and i'll say it again we never did any investigations for lou on any cast but if I did any personal investigations other than that for Lou, it's not their business or anybody's business, and I'm leaving it at that because okay. I'm a private investigator and they're confidential. And as far as I'm concerned, this guy's barking up the wrong street. I made a call to Jersey so, to a couple of my friends over there, and I tell you what, you want to have a little pissing match with me, you little midget? You can let's let's go, baby, because I'll do the investigation on my dime and I'll find out everything. Okay, Joe? And then you could cry like a little. Baby. All right, let's get off that little punk. Now let's go right to, to Keyshawn Swillow. Okay? All I know is I was with her Thursday night. We were on the intrepid Thursday night at the uh, New York City uh, uh, Police Foundation. And she was on it. And I, I think the signs were right there because uh, she was there. She did the whole program. Everybody, And then the mayor showed up at the end. He was very, very, very late. And then he came at the end. After all the ceremony, all the honoring her, 
he came after that. So that could have been a sign. But the uh, the good part of this whole thing is Eddie Caban. And I agree with my new best friend, uh, Curtis. Eddie Caban is a class of race. I love the idea of having Hispanic police commissioner. And he's been there. He's done it. He'll make a great police commissioner. Matter of fact, I was just on the phone with uh, with the uh, Phil Banks, who's a friend of mine. You know, everybody can knock Phil Banks, but I'm going to tell you something. He, he, whatever. We all got little things in our history. We're little things, little things, little things. But he's a very smart man. He's a very intelligent man, Phil Banks. And he is my friend. And when people do things wrong, like you do things wrong, I stand by my friends. And as far as I'm, con- I'm, as far as I'm concerned, you know, when, when uh, Madri got in trouble there, he was pounditating a side order, whatever he was doing. And then all of a sudden he got the, he dismissed the guy with a gun charge, an ex-cop or whatever. You know, that's what, that's what you do. You, he shouldn't have done it that way, but he should have done it in a low-key way, not just say uncomfortable or whatever. Go through the emotions and do what you got to do. If I can't take care of my friends, people that I love, what the hell good is it? If I can't pick up the phone, if, God forbid, your son or your daughter is in trouble and I can't get help from my guys, what good is it? So that's what it's all about on that one, you know? All right, let's let's run let's run these things down because it's important. I watched that lion little scumbag Gavin Newsom last night on Hannity. <laughs> yeah, I thought, well, well, you got to admit one thing: he is a lying little scumbag. But he said two things that floored me. One is he admitted with Donald Trump being arraigned today, it's a sad day for America. And secondly, he did admit that he has done nothing to help with the homeless problem. In the state of California, so he said a couple of things that surprised me. Yeah, but it was funny. He's giving them, uh, Sean's giving them all the statistics, and he says the people are not moving out of California. The people from Florida are moving to California. This guy's such a freaking liar. This guy deserves a punch in his face. With- Pretty boy hairdo, and he's got too much friggin' hair. First of all, Sid. too yeah. much friggin' hair. And I'm going to tell you something. He's disgusting. Now our friends. Daniel Penny, did you see that interview he did? Did you hear I that? Did. I did. I saw the video and just saw some folks know Daniel Penny's attorney, Thomas Kniff, will join me coming up in less than an hour at 845 this morning, right after Lara Trump. So we'll talk to Penny's attorney this morning. I did see the video. I believed everything he said. Wow. Let's hope the grand jury believes him, too. Well, what a what a what a honest, what an honest, uh, believable young man he is. And then they come out 15 minutes, child called a couple of minutes. I want to find out where is the toxology? Not getting it. You know You're what? not going to get it. You know, the kid, uh, in fact, the first thing Penny said was this guy seemed like he was on drugs. We, I know for a fact, Bo, there's a lot of people been asking for the toxicology report for weeks, and they will not get it to us. You know why? Because we're going to find out, just like George Floyd, that lowlife yep. who was all hyped up on drugs, this kid probably was too, and that's going to make people like Al Sharpton look really bad. Well, you know, the, the whole story is, and I talked to Biden on the other case, Dr. Biden on the other case with George Floyd. He had fentanyl in his system. And you want to know something? Right now, what we're talking about, what we're talking about right now is we have to understand. This kid, and he says it, I wanted to save other people. Who? It would have been okay for this little punk Michael Jackson wannabe uh, 10 years ago, the film clip guy. I actually had guys 
telling me, oh, Bo, he's a, was a Michael Jackson singer, and then this Marine killed him. Shut, shut up. Shut up, shut up already. Up. I've locked up hundreds of people. I've used a headlock and chokehold. You know what normally happens? They pass out, they drop to the floor, and then you slap in the face, and they come up. They come alive. And listen, and tell you the lawyer there, I will testify if it ever goes to trial, and I'm the one to testify because you know what? Say what you want about one tough cop. I killed nobody. I could have killed 15 people. But that's the idea. We have to be, we have to be able to have police do their job. And you tell your friend Arthur Idella, my dear friend, I call him my son. Arthur Idella, I love, I talk to him all the time. He's my son. But his client is a slimy scumbag. That freaking <laughs> well, he's that got he's got two of them. He's got he's appealing two cases right now. One is Harvey Weinstein. That's who you're talking about. The other one, always also appealing, is Ghislaine Maxwell, the lady who yeah, worked you know, alongside he, Jeffrey Epstein. You know what Harvey told me one day? I was sitting in Tribeca at his office, and he goes, "You know, Bo, if you don't do this series with me, I'll ban you from Hollywood." <laughs> I stood up. I stood up. I said. Hey, Harvey, this ain't a movie. This yeah. ain't no card. I'll punch you right out well, right now. He goes, oh, you're threatening me? Well, well I should have punched him that day. Well, here's so the good news. Uh, he, he, uh, un- uh, like Jennifer Lawrence, she had to blow him. You don't have to do anything like that, so that's good. <laughs> no, 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 no. What, what, what? All I know is one thing. My, my friend Paul Savino, God rest his soul, wanted to kill this piece of God. Yes. After when he learned about what he did to his daughter. Mia. Yeah. Hey, one of our great actors Mira. died. My yeah. friend Treat Williams. Treat oh Williams. my God! Seventy-one years old. He's dead. Prince, Prince of the city. One of the great, great, great actors. And God bless him. We're gonna really, really miss him. And as <laughs> moving on along, and remember Eddie Kuban. I hope that Eric and I hope that Phil. I just talked to Phil earlier today. I didn't talk about this, but I talked about some other things. But Phil and I just hope they decide to leave him as our first. Hispanic, and I do agree. Boy, I can't believe I'm agreeing so much with my new <laughs> best friend, Curtis Lewa. Yeah. And, and talk, talking about agreeing, this little punk midget, the head of the assembly, all of a sudden, oh, we're going to make the speed limit 20 miles an hour. This little punk has 12 speeding violations through school zones and everything. This little punk, practice what you preach. Speech. What is that? So you, wait, wait a second. You're, you're telling me that Carl Heasty has 12 yeah. different infractions? Not infractions, speeding, speeding, uh, going through the, you know, speed cameras. Oh, speed cool, cameras, yeah. yeah. And this little punk now all of a sudden is telling us he wants to lower the speed down, lower the speed down. And on another note, that that we're honoring, that we're honoring uh, uh, Gay Pride Week, uh, whatever we're honoring. You know, enough of here. that, please. I'm begging you, enough of that already. My God. Okay, now, here's my thing. Why isn't that manifesto coming out with that thing, that the translucent transformer uh, shooter, Audrey Hale, that, that one that shot all those little beautiful children it, in the school? In this Why one, isn't right? that manifesto coming out? And here we go again, 50%. Now I learned from a doctor, a psychologist. Guess what, Bo? 40% of these transformer, transvestite, trans, whatever the hell you call them, they contempt suicide they talk about suicide so it's very obvious what's going on this point 
0.03% of the population are all screwed up in their friggin' brains, probably from these chromosomes and these injections that they give them. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I want to see that manifesto. Why did that manifesto be kept quiet? Yeah. Because it's going to show these people become psychopaths. Yeah. And that other beer-drinking little whatever that thing is, that transformer, transgender, <laughs> trans, uh, translucent, I don't know, but I'm just getting really, really, really angry with this. Everybody is. Uh, they're talking about Dylan Mulvaney. So, yeah, I mean, in the case with uh, they will not show you the, to- the uh, toxicology report with Jordan Neely because he's black. They're not going to show you the manifesto for this other person right. in Tennessee because right. she's right. transgender. So what we do in this country is we wake up every single day. We're not worried about the hardworking white man like Sid Rosenberg or Bo Dietl. We They don't like people like us. We go no. out of our way to protect black people and transgenders. Oh. That's the United oh. States. And we're gonna we're gonna start now to look at in New York State. What we got to do next is not just take a hundred thousand illegals in. Now we're gonna look at reparations. Ten uh, percent of your check should be going to reparations for uh, people that I have no idea. I didn't have any slaves. I don't own any slaves. Where do I gotta pay money for these people? They didn't pay no money to the Italians when they were when they were hanging right. them in New Orleans. That's they right. Didn't hang in. I, I'm just so upset. Okay, let's go <laughs> on. Another, calm me down. Calm me down. No, you're okay. great. Keep going. Warner, Warner, Warner Media. They they used to run CNN. Now it came out that uh, Chris Como and his brother there, Fredo uh, Andrew, they're both Fredos as far as I'm concerned. All of a sudden, they were reaching out. And who was reaching out? Remember Jeff Sucker? What's yeah. his name? Jeff Sucker? That's Jeff Sucker. He was the guy before yeah, Chris Sucker. Lick. They're like both said, gone Jeff now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Sucker was sucking on Allison Goulas. That was the chick that they made him leave because he was banging Dayton. Uh, she was the chief marketing officer. She reached out. She reached out to the governor to try to open up the aiders. They had some movie coming out. Now it's all coming out. And Chris Fredo now is suing for $125 million he wants to get. Uh, 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 with his lawsuit, and all these emails are coming out with what, what went on. And in reality, if you remember, Chris uh, Chris Coma was fired, and then all of a sudden, Jeff Sucker, with an F, not Zucker, Sucker, you fat pig. Yeah, Sucker. Jeff Sucker was fired because he was sucking on that other one that was his head of marketing, and then they fired him. But in reality, reality, we got a lot of things going, and I can't wait so for you to understand, now all of a sudden, J.P. Morgan Chase is in trouble with our friend there, with our friend Epstein. They have to pay $290 million because his Epstein was having all these executives banging all these chicks. Let's investigate everybody. Let's <laughs> investigate everybody. Bo Deedle on fire today. Hey, that is a special... 7 o'clock hour on Tuesday mornings between Curtis Sliwa and Bo Deedle in the same hour. That was an amazing appearance by my guy Bo Deedle. The good news is he'll be back again live in studio coming up at 9.05 on Thursday morning. Great job, Bo. Thank you. Still lots more to come this morning, including Bernie Carrick, Larry Trump, Thomas Kniff, Roger Stone, and more. Only about halfway through, folks, the Tuesday edition of your favorite talk show in New York City. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Come on!
Robin WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. He was born in the summer of his 27th year. Coming home to a place he'd never been before. He left yesterday behind him. You might say he was born again. You might say he found the key for every door. When he first came to the mountains, his life was far away. On the road, hanging by a song. But the string's already broken, and he doesn't really care. It keeps changing fast, and it don't last for long. But the Colorado Rocky Mountain High, I've seen it. Rocky Mountain High. Congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. 47 years NBA basketball team. They won the NBA championship last night, taking out the Miami Heat in five games. Late great John Denver. Rocky Mountain High. Nuggets are your champs today. Later on tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights have a chance from the NHL Stanley Cup. They're also three games to one on the Florida Panthers, so. South Florida had two teams in both Winter League's finals this year, the Heat and the Panthers, and both may be gone in five. Been a great show already. Audie Idala, Curtis Sliwa, and Bo Dito still to come. Lara Trump, Thomas Kniff, the attorney for Daniel Penny, love that guy, and Roger Stone. But set to join me right now is a guy I really like and really respect. He was a great, not a good but a great police commissioner right there on 9-11 with Rudy Giuliani, Governor Pataki, and the rest of them. And he was all over Instagram yesterday when Keyshawn Sewell announced she was stepping down. And I have a feeling my next guest may place some of that blame on the mayor. So here he is, former police commissioner and friend of mine, Bernard Carrick. Bernie, good Tuesday morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So let's get to it. Uh, it took you about two seconds to hit Instagram and Twitter yesterday with some very good tweets about uh, Sewell stepping down. You said, listen, I didn't know her, never met her, but I hear great things about her. And clearly, clearly the mayor and the folks around him did a bad job here. Is that fair to say that was a summary of your tweets and Instagram posts? Yeah, you know what, Sid? I, I met her in passing one time, um, you know, for a brief two seconds. But, uh, you know, here's what I do know. Every When she got appointed, everybody I knew in Nassau County loved her. Every cop, every executive. Since she's been in the NYPD, every single person I've talked to, she's a stand-up cop. She's aggressive. She's no nonsense. She takes care of her people. She is the perfect candidate. To be a police commissioner in New York City right now, when we need, when we need as many cops out there as possible. You know, it's funny you say. Yeah. Let me stop there a second because 
Curtis Sliwa. I know you're funny with Curtis. He's on this show every morning at 7.05, and he was on the money. He actually, Bernie, talked about how unhappy Sliwa was yesterday morning, and she was dying four hours later, just to show you how Curtis has his finger on the pulse. Curtis says she was not the right person for the job, that, you know, being a, a, a detective in Nassau County doesn't get you ready for the biggest police job in the country, which you did a great job with. So he said, nice lady, I like her, but she wasn't really necessarily the right person for the job. You know what? I'd have to disagree, and and I disagree for this. When you, in Nassau County, it's not the same. Listen, there is no department. There's no department that equates to New York City, whether it's Nassau County, Suffolk County, Chicago, you name it. New York City, the numbers are above, you know, they're, they're three times, four times any other department around. But the bottom line is I'm looking at her leadership. I'm looking at her history within the department. And I hear from people internally within the NYPD. Here was the problem. She was completely micromanaged by the mayor um, to the point – now, I, I don't know what the numbers are today in the NYPD. I had 55,000 under my command, 41,000 uniformed, 14,000 civilians. When you're the police commissioner, you cannot be waiting for the mayor or somebody from the mayor's office to let you know every time you want to have a cop transferred or when you want to make internal promotions – or any administrative move internally in the department, you can't do on your own because somebody in the mayor's office has to approve it. That's completely insane. So it's fair to say That's- when you were commissioner, even back on that horrible 9-11, uh, Rudy Giuliani was the mayor. I know you guys are best friends to this day. That Rudy Giuliani allowed you to be the commissioner, and you did not, like Sewell, have to go to Rudy every time you wanted to do something with your force. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. In both agencies, I ran the correction department for six years. I oversaw Rikers. It was the same thing there. I told the mayor what I needed to do the job in resources, in financing, and I either got it or I didn't. Here, and here's the key with the mayor, whether it's Giuliani or Eric Adams. Don't ask the police commissioner to stand in and do the job if you're not going to give them the resources and allow them to do the job because you're up for failure. And, and I could see in her position, you know what, if you want me in the position, let me do the job. Give me the resources I need to do them. Let me do the job. And if you're not going to do that, then I'm not, I'm not staying because I'm, I'm, you're, you're creating a failure. You're going to make me fail and I'm not failing. And I would have left too. The bottom line is she should have been left alone. Let her do what she has to do. But here's the problem. Eric Adams can't do that because he cowers too much to the left. He is imbo- he's, he's basically he's, he's a, a, uh, you know, a puppet for the governor. You know, he should have had that bail reform law repealed 18 months ago. He should have gone after the DAs that aren't prosecuting the thugs. He should be locking people up and throwing away the key when they engage in violence. It's not happening. He should told the police commissioner, go do your job. Go do your job. You do your job, and I'll make sure I support you. And that is not what was happening. And, and I'm not the only one saying it. Now, over the last 24 hours, 
since I put out that tweet that I was disappointed that she was going to be leaving, I know five, six executives, six, above the rank of inspector in the NYPD, they're all saying the same thing. These were people that were direct reports or, or nearly direct reports to her. They're all saying the same thing. Yeah. No, she I am too. I agree. Job. And we knew that. We talked about that yesterday. Former police commissioner Bernard Carrick here. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, she tried to discipline Jeff Madry. I don't know if you know Jeff or not, but she tried to discipline him, and he must have gone to Adams or Banks or one of those people. And it felt to me like, once again, with the opportunity to do the right thing, even though he's a cop, he should have been disciplined, that once again they kind of punched her in the face. You know that story with Jeff Madry, yes? Well, I, I heard the story, but I'm not t- this is a true story, what I'm going to tell you, Sid. I had a three a two star chief when I when I took over Rikers I was there about two months and I had a two star chief that basically thought he had more political juice than I had power within the department and I chastised him for something he did and said he ran to the mayor's office and I got a call from the mayor's chief of staff and he said this guy wants to see the mayor. And he's really upset, and he's complaining that you basically threatened him with a demotion. I said, well, have him see the mayor. Tell, tell the mayor he could do whatever he wants to do, but tell him get back right away because if his resignation isn't on my desk by 5 p.m., wow. I'm demoting him to deputy warden. <laughs> That's a true story. I love that. That is a true God, story. And if you would have done that, Woody Giuliani would have said, okay, fine. The mayor said, okay. The mayor told, I think it was Randy Mastro, told him, hey, you know, send send it back to Kerry. I don't don't want, it's none of my business. Get him back over there. And he left at 5 p.m. That was it. That is a great, that's a great story. So now they're uh, talking about uh, Eddie Caban. Curtis loves him. I guess he was Eric Adams' driver for a while. You know how close those guys get, Tommy Bellotti, Paul Castellano, in this case, um, uh, Caban and uh, Eric Adams. Most people like him. Him and his brother are both cops. Are you okay with Caban being the next police commissioner, or does Bernie Carrick have another suggestion? Listen, I don't know Caban. Um, I've heard I've heard good. I've heard bad. Don't know him, so I'm, I'm not going to make that call. If Eric Adams wants to clean up the city, wants the department back on its feet, um, I I got a suggestion for him. Bring in Joe Esposito, make him the police commissioner, and give him the resources, give him the money he needs to do the job, and leave him alone. Let me ask you this. I promise you. No, I know. Listen, I I love Joe, too. He'll be cleaned up. I love Joe, too. And as you know, we're all very, very close. And I speak to Joe four or five times a week. But he did. He did. I know he's got plenty of strength. He sends me videos doing push-ups. He's only a couple of weeks removed from removing a brain tumor, and uh, was and he's still, as we speak, getting treatment for cancer at Sloan Kettering. So if you're serious about that, and the mayor wanted to do that, how much would that play against Joe Esposito? Well, that's up to Joe. I, you know, I don't know all the circumstances. I don't know all the details of his treatment, but here's what I can tell you. If it's not Joe Esposito, it's got to be somebody like him. It's got to be somebody like him. Otherwise, the city is going to continue to to fall. It's you know, and like I said, I I don't know Caban. Um, you know, I don't I don't know a bunch of the guys that are there now. The, keep in mind, these guys were like 
sergeants, lieutenants, and captains uh, under my command. So, you know, he he needs somebody yeah. that has the courage to do the job and then leave him the hell alone or let him go do it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Joe Esposito would be a great choice. And, again, he has recovered from the operation. He's doing push-ups on video. And I agree with you. I love that call. Bernie Kerrick, make Joe Esposito. I, I said, I just got to tell you, Joe Esposito's doing more exercise today than he's ever done since <laughs> I know him. Since I know him. That's right. He, now, I never know if they hit yeah. the gym. I never know if they exercise. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, he's doing push-ups. He's, and he's going for runs. He's great. I do want to ask you, you know, what's come up in our conversations in the past because – Everybody's quick to talk about Eric Adams when he was a cop and all the experience he had over 20 years. Uh, I want you to know that Joe Esposito just texted me. I swear to God, he's listening to the conversation, and he sent me three words, Bernie Kerrick, quote, I'm ready now. That's from Joe Esposito literally eight seconds ago on my text. But you were uh, you were the commissioner when uh, Adams was a cop. And on this show in the past with me solo and with me and my late great partner Bernard not very kind about Adams as a cop. Has that changed, or are you still very critical of the cop that Eric Adams was? No, he's, he, listen, he was, uh, you know, he was nothing special. Uh, you know, he didn't have a great reputation within the department. He was, um, you know, I, I don't know how to say this other than he was a racist, right? He ran an organization called 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement, and Everything to him was about race. Um, we had a pretty good relationship, um, but uh, you know, I'm not into all that stuff. Like, uh, you know, focus focus on the job and, and 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 what the job's about. You know, he he created this special niche for himself in that organization, and that's how we sort of stepped ahead and moved ahead. But he wasn't one of these cops that I saw at Medals Day. He wasn't one of these cops that I saw out there in the streets uh, involved in gun battles or, or, you know, major drug seizures or, or gang violence. Um, you know, he was a, a, a lieutenant that was, uh, you know, he was nothing special, really. I want to ask you about the job he's done so far. My friend Jennifer Harrison just sent me this. How ironic that Eric Adams' entire campaign was based on him fighting what he cleaned what he claimed was corruption within the NYPD, and here he is perpetuating the corruption. Uh, that's our opinion. And I know the crime numbers are down just a bit, but for you, Bernie, you tweet about this often, not nearly enough. So don't compare him to your best friend, Rudy. I know Rudy was the best ever. Take Rudy out of the equation. Eric Adams as mayor so far, good or bad? Bad. Bad. There's so much he could have done, Sid. There's so much. You know, I sent him a text. When he became the mayor, that night, I think it was that night or the next morning, I sent him a text message, and I said, listen, you could become an international icon, a rock star. All you have to do is flip the demise that Bill de Blasio created in New York City. That's all you've got to do. Turn it around. Turn it around. And I was hoping that, listen, he knows how to do it. He knows, he knows what was done to create the greatest renaissance in the history of New York City under Giuliani. He was there. He was there. He was a lieutenant, and I think then he was a captain, right? He knows exactly what we did to do that. Okay, well, do it. Do it. 
Stop trying to talk a big game, talk a you know a rough game, a tough game. Just do it. Yeah. He had the police commissioner in place that wanted to do it. He wanted to micromanage. Yeah. He doesn't have the courage to go to the governor and push the governor to repeal the bail reform laws and put things in place that supports the department. He doesn't have the courage to get the DA thrown out of office that's basically letting thugs roam the streets. I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, he could have done 10 times better than he has done. All right, 30 seconds to go, Bernie. A, a tremendous appearance. I got to get you back in regular rotation. You were doing that for a while. You were great. I don't know what happened, but I got to get you back. 30 seconds, the future for Sewell, leaving as commissioner after 18 months. Big future is somewhere else. With police, what do you think our future is? Well, the problem with with leaving the problem with leaving the NYPD is where do you go? You know, maybe you go out to Los Angeles. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think she's going to do just fine. I, I think she'll do fine in the private sector. Um, you know, as far as another department, unless unless it was something federal, there's nothing bigger, there's nothing better than the NYPD. That, that I mean, that's the bottom line. Where do you go after that? Right. You go to the private sector. Yeah. You know, go to the private sector, make some money, you know, retire, enjoy life. <laughs> you know, she's young, though. She's young. She's not, the, you know, I don't know how old she is, but she doesn't look like she's ready for retirement, I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, Bernie, you were great. Really, that's a tremendous spot this morning. Please keep coming back. And what can I say? You're a great commissioner and a terrific job this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sid. You're the man, Bernie Carrick, right there, former NYPD police commissioner. His thoughts on the Sewell situation? Pick up that phone. That's Lara Trump, the president, who will be in court. He'll be arraigned this afternoon about 3 o'clock in Miami. They're putting up the mansions right now. They expect a lot of protesters. We'll talk to my favorite Trump, who's on just about every two weeks now, his daughter-in-law, Lara. Lara Trump with me, Sid, is coming up next. Seventy-seven WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. too young to remember fast times at Ridgemont High, but not Jackson Brown, somebody's baby. 8.32, your Tuesday morning. Been a great show already today. I mean, really great. Arthur Idala, Curtis Sliwa, Bo Deedle, Bernard Carrick. But my favorite Trump is about to join me. I do love her father-in-law, Donald, but Lara's been coming on about every two weeks now for the last couple of months, and she has been great. So with that said, as her father-in-law makes way to a courtroom in Miami for his arraignment at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, Lara Trump. Lara, welcome back again. Good morning. How are you? 
Good morning, and, and a happy early birthday to my father-in-law as well. His birthday's tomorrow, so what a lovely gift he's getting today, isn't it? Really, I know. really crazy stuff. So. I know. You know, it's funny you say his birthday's tomorrow, and, and uh, President Trump does turn 77 tomorrow. You know, I saw a picture on Instagram yesterday, Lara, of you and Eric. Beautiful picture. Son behind you. You're both smiling. You both look great. You both look happy. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with my wife, Danielle, not that long ago. She said, you know, I don't care how tough Donald Trump is. He's going to be 77 years old. That's tomorrow. He gets indicted, impeached like every week. And eventually, God forbid, maybe he can't handle it. So your husband, Eric, his son, they're very, very close, Donald and Eric. Does he ever say to you, you know, Dad, I know he's tough, but he's going to be 77 tomorrow. And he's gone through an awful lot. Do you guys worry about stuff like that? I mean, you know what? If it was any other human being, said perhaps we would. But I got to tell you, I mean, I have never met a tougher person on every possible front than Donald Trump, than my father-in-law. It's actually incredible. I, I truly don't think any other human being could withstand all that he has. And yet it doesn't seem to phase him. And I think he's known since before he ever ran for president that he would get, have to go through so much in order to do what was right for our country. He told all of us before the day he announced he was running for president, we'll find out who our friends are. They're going to come after us. If we do this thing the right way, people are going to get very upset. And here we are. I mean, you know, what a prediction by him. Um, But I don't think there's anyone tougher or anyone who is more willing to take the slings and arrows to do what he believes is right for America. So you guys are down in South Florida. As far as I know, he's going to court today. Then he's flying back again, right back to Bedminster, New Jersey, and he's uh, having a fundraiser, I guess, today or tomorrow. So are you guys all going to be together for his birthday tomorrow? Well, I, I don't know exactly the birthday plans because obviously things have gotten uh, gotten a little right. <laughs> uh, mixed up this week, un- unplanned uh, bumps in the road, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. Um, but we're all together today, and um, I actually have my kids with us as well, and uh, we celebrated a very special day for our niece, Arabella, on Sunday night. It was her bar mitzvah. And so we were wow. all together as a family. It was beautiful. So, look, even in times uh, uh, that, that maybe aren't exactly perfect, we always, you know, come together for the good stuff and are all together to celebrate one another uh, whenever we can. And so this week is no different on, on any front. That's obviously Ivanka and Jared's uh, daughter who was just bar mitzvah. That's, that's beautiful. Well, there you have it, folks. So your father-in-law goes, uh, goes to court uh, later on today. You know, listen, Larry, you know I speak to the the biggest and the best on this show. And I've spoken to a bunch of attorneys, some of which actually like your father-in-law. They've got no bias against them. And they're a little nervous. This is serious. This is a federal case. There is some tapes that uh, don't look great for your father-in-law. And there are others that I speak to that go, oh, please, he's been through this before. They keep trying the same thing and blah, blah, blah. The clock will run out. He'll pardon himself. He's going to be fine. Be honest with me, Lara. You've seen the indictment. You know what's out there. This is a little more serious than the Bragg thing in New York or even the two down the road, Georgia and Mar-a-Lago. This one make you nervous at all, or are you completely not? He's going to be fine. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm the eternal optimist on all of these things. But certainly, look, there's no doubt that there are people who would legitimately want to lock up my father-in-law. And quite frankly, for anything they could, for jaywalking or anything else. Um, And so, yeah, I I understand the implications of this one, but I think when people take a step back and you really look at this thing on a grand scale, 
you look at this and it has actually nothing to do with Donald Trump. This is really about what kind of country we're living in, because when the Department of Justice is able to interfere in both the 2016 and 2020 presidential elections to swing the vote for the Democrat running in both of those elections. And by the way, absolutely no charges against anyone in that. No problem there. We're just going to turn the other way and not even talk about those sorts of things. When that can happen and that system is then weaponized against my father-in-law over documents, but on the same turn, you have Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, who we now know got $10 million from Ukraine, a bribe, while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. That is a national security issue. And the reason, Sid, I think so many of us are like, why aren't we talking about that? It's pretty obvious because half of the swampy people in Washington, D.C. have been playing the same game that Joe Biden is, and they've been doing it for a long time. So the second that they get called out on it, the second that those sort of things come to light, the jig is up for a lot of these people, and that threatens their way of life. If we are able to have elections interfered with, systems weaponized against political opponents, and we don't even talk about things, if you have a D behind your name instead of an R, <laughs> we are living in a banana republic, and it is frightening to people. And at the end of the day, they know what this is all about. I agree. Uh, in fact, I heard uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle, of course, uh, dating uh, your brother-in-law, Donald Jr., on this station yesterday. But here's the one problem. And again, you know I'm a huge fan of your father-in-law. I love him. I love the guy. I want him to win as much as anybody. Maybe not as much as you, but right behind you. Um, All these arguments that we make, and I make them too every day, they're political. In other words, his lawyer can't go into court and go, well, wait a second. Why are you picking on Donald when Joe Biden's done worse? That court doesn't care. So we can't use those, even though they're 100% true, Lara, 100% true, those political arguments don't work. He's got a legal fight that he's got to win that doesn't include Joe Biden. I I know you know that. So are you confident that his lawyers, whoever they are, will be able to actually win the case based on what he's looking at, his legal issues, and not comparing himself to another politician? Well, yeah, I am. And I think, you know, from the beginning, my father-in-law has talked about the fact that while he took these documents, he was president of the United States. He was well within his rights to do so and had the ability to classify or declassify any information. He has said from the beginning that he did declassify all of these documents. Um, And so it became a National Archives issue. And yet it warranted in some, for some reason, and nobody really can tell us why, it warranted a pre-dawn raid at Mar-a-Lago, something we've never seen happen to a former president. It has escalated to this point. And I think whenever you really look at any sort of intent on anyone's part. I mean, there's no argument that can be made that my father-in-law was trying to sell secrets or spy on the United States. I think that is preposterous and everyone knows it. And so at the end of the day, it becomes an argument over some documents that he was able to legally take as president of the United States. And I, and I, I really do believe that, you know, our, our, his legal team is going to be above board and able to do everything possible. I just think it's very frustrating to a lot of people. The the political aspects, like you said, yeah, you can't go in a court of law and argue it, but it really does come down for a lot of people as to what kind of country are we going forward? And if you're able to do this to Donald Trump, what about the rest of us? Well, that's how I feel, and uh, it does frustrate me. And more than frustrate me, it makes me angry, Laura, when I know what the Democrats are doing, and uh, much worse than your father-in-law, and yet he's the guy 
I mean, they wake up every single day. It's really unbelievable. I said this uh, to, uh, to Alan Dershowitz yesterday, Lara. I said, do you think that if the DOJ and these uh, DAs and AGs woke up every day, every day, and examined Barack Obama, right, black Jesus, if they examined Barack Obama's daily life for eight years as president, try to find something, don't you think they would find something that they could indict him? You can indict a ham sandwich. And he said, absolutely. And I said, well, like you're talking about, Lara, that's what this is all about. They wake up every day looking for something to nail your father-in-law when Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, they didn't go through the same thing. Not even close. No, of course not. And and I think people know why that is, because Republican or Democrat, people have had to play the same game in politics for a long time now. And you've got to be part of this little team and this little group in Washington, D.C. And Donald Trump has never been one of those people. He never needed any of them. He never took a penny from, uh, you know, the Republican Party until he became the nominee in 2016. He funded his own campaign, not a penny from lobbyists, not a penny from special interest groups ever, because he said, I want to be beholden only to the American people and no one else. And people in D.C. do not like that. The swamp does not like that. They've all been part of the same team and get that they have to scratch each other's backs in D.C. until Donald Trump came along. And he said, I don't need any of you. I'm not going to play your game. And that is why they have had a target on his back from day one. That's why you're right. They continue to find anything possible. My gosh, they've been combing through <laughs> millions of documents that the Trump organization now for seven years did, and they can, can't find anything. I know. They had to make things up. And so that is why Donald Trump is such a threat to them. That's why they can't afford to have Donald Trump back in that White House because they're terrified that it's going to harm their future and he's going to expose the whole lot of them. So on the way out, uh, his buddy Roger Stone, who's actually on this station now, Lara. I want you on this station. I keep telling John and Chad, put Lara Trump on here. Oh, well, excuse me. I'm available. Let me know. Absolutely. You'd be great here. I mean, come on. This is an easy one. Lara Trump, but she wants to do it. <laughs> so we got Roger Stone here, and he interviewed your father-in-law like two days ago. And he said, and I knew the answer already, but it's always good to hear it. Are uh, you ever consider, ever consider dropping out of the race? All this legal pressure, <laughs> your father-in-law said, no, no way. In fact, it's the complete opposite. And I think his supporters, people like me, feel the same way, that every time they do this stuff to your father-in-law, the more energized our base becomes, the more pissed I become. So hopefully all these uh, issues that he's going through, including court today, turn out to be a godsend and make his path back to Pennsylvania Avenue even easier. Yeah, well, you look at the most recent polling, I think, in the GOP field, he's now at 61 percent. Um, and, and, you know, people, you're right. People see this for what it is. I think they get it. Uh, but it's so funny because if you go back to any commencement speech or any major interview my father-in-law has ever done, whenever people ask him for his one piece of advice, and I mean, this is going back decades. His one piece of advice he always gives is never quit, never quit anything. I've seen some of the best people on Wall Street in business, you know, across the, the, the field um, quit and think that, you know what, I can't do this. I, if you don't quit, then you will ultimately achieve whatever it is you want. 
that's the advice my father-in-law has always given people. And believe me, no one knows that better than he does. There's a famous story about him whenever he declared bankruptcy, walking down Fifth Avenue and seeing a homeless guy and saying that guy is a, a billion dollars richer than I am because he was so far in debt. And yet he fought back. He came back from that. He was better and stronger and, and you know, did better in business than ever after that. So believe me, he knows how to fight. He knows what it means to be down and out. And he has never quit anything in his life. He is not about to quit this. If that is the goal here, and I think we all know it is, they want him to say, oh, it's not worth it for me. They chose the wrong guy. <laughs> Donald Trump will never quit. He will continue on. I think this will make him stronger. I think it exposes exactly what's going on in this country, and it's why we need him back in the White House. Agreed. Please uh, wish uh, your father-in-law, my friend Donald Trump, a happy birthday from us. He calls me number one Sid. I love that. And another great appearance. You're the best Trump. I tell you that all the time. I mean it. Please keep coming back. All right? Please enjoy the you birthday. Give my best, Eric. Thank, Thank you, Lara. Thank you so much. All right, sweetie. Take care. There she is, the president's daughter-in-law. She is a terrific interview and a very, very bright lady, Lara Trump. All right. We got more to do. Thomas Kniff, the attorney for Daniel Penny. He spoke yesterday. Of course, he's the Marine, the hero Marine involved in that Jordan Neely death. We'll also talk to Roger Stone. Oi. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Mr. Neely came on. He was he was threatening. He's, he's a, I'm 6'2", and he was taller than me. So it was, and there's a common misconception that Marines don't get scared. We're actually taught uh, one of our core values is courage. And courage is not the absence of fear, but how you handle fear. And, you know... I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying, saying these threats. I couldn't just sit still. Actually talked a couple of days ago, yesterday, the day before, I forget, made a bunch of videos. He said, just so you know, Jordan Neely was screaming, I'm going to kill you. I don't care if I go to prison the rest of my life. I don't care if I die. I'm going to kill you. That's according to Daniel Penny. And uh, me personally, I choose to believe the Marine and not the homeless maniac who did go through a tragedy as a kid, but, man, we're way past that. Anyway, Penny's attorney is one of my favorite attorneys here, too, right there with Danielle Rosenberg, Joe Tacopina, and Arthur Idala. Great attorney, great guy. Also served this country very proudly. It's my good buddy Thomas Kniff. Thomas, good morning, pal. How are you? Hey, good morning, Sid, and thanks for putting me in good company with those guys. Uh, Idala, Sacafina, and those guys, they're all great. They are great. And, so, and by the way, so is uh, your partner, Stephen Razor. I met him at Judge Janine's book signing, and I, I'm sorry I spilled the wine on his jacket, but what a super guy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, 
he makes uh, like a good partnership. He makes up for all my shortcomings. <laughs> now, you guys are great together. Very, very impressive duo. And, and uh, Daniel Penny has the right guy. Can I ask you, uh, first of all, Bo Deedle, I've told you this before. He said it again this morning. He will gladly testify. We get to that point here about chokeholds. And he said he did that many, many times. A cop in nearly 20 years and nobody died. But I want to get to the toxicology report. Because we all know that George Floyd was all hopped up on drugs. And, look, I understand Floyd was murdered. Unlike what your client did, that was murdered by that Minneapolis cop. But he was hopped up on drugs. And Daniel Penny did say on video two days ago that when he saw Neely, he said, and I quote, look like a guy on drugs. So are we ever going to see the toxicology report? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, we haven't seen it yet. Um, but, you know, there, there's some things that, that we do know, right? So, you know, in New York, a, a lay person like my client, like you, like me, can make observations of the characteristics of somebody who appears to be under the influence of drugs or intoxicated. Um, my client, uh, you know, has been very adamant that this guy seemed like he was, you know, in a, in a high, you know, manic state. But, you know, add to that is it's a matter of public record that, uh, uh, you know, Jordan Neely had a history of drug use, um, specifically K2, which is a a very powerful substance. And the rumor is, not to stop you, Tom, but the rumor is that that specific drug you're talking about, K2, the rumor is he was actually smoking that uh, that day, the day that your client had his confrontation with him. That's the alleged rumor. of that as well obviously look i mean you know full disclaimer we don't have the toxicology yet so nobody could say for sure but 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 it is part of his you know doc documented uh you know criminal history that that he has uh you know been under the influence of this stuff and had been abusing this stuff i think some of his family members have even said yeah. that you know he was using case so let me ask you the sixty four thousand dollar question tom why don't you have it this guy's dead for uh, months already this case may be going to a grand jury before we know it why don't you have it? I know the real answer. What do you think the answer is? Well, you know, I mean, part of it is the discovery laws in New York. Like the discovery laws were, were, were reformed, um, and the defense gets a lot more information earlier now than it used to. However, in res- with respect to the grand jury, there is no obligation for the district attorney to disclose that unless and until the defendant's indicted. We have, we've obtained subpoenas. We've served those subpoenas uh, on the MAE's office and so forth. And, and we're, you know, certainly we're doing everything we can to get it, but, you know, we need cooperation on the other side too as well. And that, and that's not a shot at the district attorney's office. It's more, you know, it's not a shot at anyone, but it's more in regard to, you know, the subpoenas we serve directly on New York City. Thomas Kenneth, the attorney for uh, Daniel Penny. So I have to imagine, Tom, that before Daniel made those videos, which I thought were terrific, and uh, really told you the story of what happened that day. Of course, it's his story. There's two sides, I get it, maybe three. But uh, it seemed uh, honest to me. I would imagine he came to you first, yes, and asked you if he can do something like that? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, obviously we've, uh, you know, we, we, we walk every step with him. Um, you know, look, the default decision um, is not to have your client say anything, right? And in the, in the vast majority of cases, uh, that's exactly what we do. Um, in this particular case, though, it's different. It's different for a couple of reasons. One, I think we have a, a, a client here who comes off well. Um, who, you know, I think Mark Twain said, you know, if you tell the truth, you have nothing to remember, right? <laughs> um, you know, that there's no doubt that he has been consistent and accurate to the best of his re- recollection, you know, with us and publicly. 
Uh, and, and everything he says is corroborated by disinterested third parties that were on that subway train, by the way. But secondly, you know, look at you look at some of the broadsides this poor guy has taken. And I'm not talking about just from one segment of the media. I'm talking about public officials, uh, all the way up to the governor of the state, who has taken an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States, but yet is doing violence to it when she comes out and prejudges, uh, you know, a, a case with a defendant who is presumed innocent constitutionally. So, you know, at some point, you know, we made a tactical decision to say, look, you know, more than just, you know, as much as I love being here talking with you, there's nothing like hearing it from the client's mouth, right? Um, you know, to, to get out there and counter, you know, this narrative where, you know, imagine being a 24-year-old kid, you know, you served your country, you have no criminal record, you, you stand up to try to protect innocent women and children, and you're being called a vigilante, again, by, by, by what some yeah. people consider mainstream media sources, by yeah. elected officials. You're being yeah. called a killer, a white supremacist. You know, so, so that narrative, I think, at some point needs to be countered. No, you're right. And Hochul did from day one uh, pull the old Nancy Grace deal, give him the chair. So did Al Sharpton. But the mayor, Tom Kniff, the mayor came out and was actually measured and smart. In fact, they gave him a lot of credit on this show for not rushing to judgment. But then, then... Well, something happened, and Adams started to sound an awful lot like Kathy Hochul, including he could have been my son, he looks like my same name, my brother, made it a whole race thing all over again. Were you disappointed in how the mayor went from really being sharp on this to one of them? Yeah, you know, I was. And look, and there's a lot, you know, a lot I like about Mayor Adams. I mean, look, Curtis was my guy. There's no question about that. I thought he would have been the best choice. But, you know, sometimes in a city like New York that's so heavily Democratic, you got to take, you know, the you know, the best bad decision you can get. Right. right. Um, and, and, you know, Adams, compared to the Democratic field, was you know certainly the more moderate, the one that was more willing to take a you know somewhat of a reasonable law and order stance. So I was impressed with his early comments, particularly when he came back and shot down this ludicrous 15 minute timeline that was just, you know, just made up. Someone put it out there and the media ran with it. Um, you know, and, and the equanimity in some of his early co- comments. But look, at the end of the day, these guys are elected elected officials, right? And, and they have a, they have a base, and that base needs to be satiated. So, you know, he's proven himself willing to go against the grain up to a point, right? But then know, he caves. Not, not 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 as far as, <laughs> as he probably should, or should have been this case. But he caves. Thomas Kniff, the attorney for uh, Daniel Penny, and you're right, he came off uh, really well, Daniel Penny, but making a video. To explain what happened is one thing. Testifying in front of the grand jury is another. Simple question. If, in fact, we get to that, would you recommend that Penny testify in front of the grand jury? You know, what I, what I can say, Sid, is, look, I, I think that Mike, that, that if, if any client could, could do, would do great in front of a grand jury, uh, it, it's Danny. You know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that decision. Nine times out of ten, nine, maybe 98 times out of 100, it's not something that we do as defense attorneys, but certainly it's something we're considering very seriously in this case. But I will say that, look, you know, we think whether he testifies or not, there's going to be, you know, so much evidence that, you know, we're, we're certainly very hopeful the DA will put before the grand jury and hopeful that the grand jury will ask the DA to have, you know, including, you know, third-party witnesses. I mean, there's one individual on that train. She, she was a African-American woman, a senior citizen. She hung around on the platform waiting, waiting to interact with the police so she can give them her name and information and to, to, and to thank my client and, base, and, and say that th- this guy is a hero. My client wasn't trying to be a hero. He still doesn't consider himself a hero. But given that that's the perspective 
of those third-party passengers on the train. You know, we're hopeful a grand jury gets mm. to hear from them. Yep. They get to see the video of my client interviewed by the police where he, where he gave the story and fully cooperative. And whether he testifies or not, we, we, we're, we're, we're very optimistic that that will be enough for the grand jury to, to not return an indictment. Well, I'm glad you emphasized the fact that that lady, I know who you're talking about, was African-American because Al Sharpton right away described this as a race crime, a hate crime, and Others have followed. Many have followed along. Even at the very end, the mayor kind of went that way. And you you just said it. The lady on the train, African-American, one of the gentlemen that helped, that helped Daniel Penny, African-American. So how could that possibly be the case? One lady says, thank you, you saved my life. One guy helped him in restraining this guy. How could this possibly be a crime based on race? Yeah, well, it, it absolutely is, and it, 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 it just, you know, it, it runs in the face of, you know, all the objective facts. And, I, look, I'll quote my client. I know I'm supposed to be the mouthpiece here, but I think he said it best. You know, I, I didn't see a black man threatening and, uh, you know, intimidating people on that subway train. I saw a man do it, you know, and, and that's that's really what yeah. it's all that, That's really what it comes down to. So where are we? Uh, I know you got to run here, but where are we with the whole grand jury and starting up? And uh, give me a timeline, Thomas, of what what we uh, we could expect next. Yeah, so you know, look, I, I can't give you a complete timeline because it's really not my show. I mean, the grand jury really is the DA's sandbox. That's the way the law is written in this state and really every every place I know. Um, you know, our indications are though that this grand jury term ends on Monday. Um, you know, so I anticipate, I, I think it, it, it's very likely that we could have a decision this week. Decision this week. Okay. Well, listen, he's very lucky to have you and Steve. I mean, Tom, you're just, I know you threw Mike Sullivan, of course. And when you ran for DA, you know, you talk about Curtis would have been a better mayor than Eric Adams. I believe that in my heart. I also know you would have been light years better than Alvin Bragg. You ran against him. But unfortunately, I don't think people knew who you were back then. So maybe you want to run again at some point uh, after this case. But um, I know what a great soul. Uh, listen, you're, you're, you're a real hero, a great American, a super friend. And continue uh, doing what you're doing, Thomas. Good luck with Daniel Penny. I hope, again, I hope you speak again very, very soon. And, and uh, the grand jury does the right thing by your client because he is a hero. Thank you so much. All right. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure. You're the man. Say hello to Steve for me, okay? Tell him not to send me that dry cleaning bill. (laughs) I literally smashed into Tom and Steve this huge glass of wine that Tom was holding. Hit Steve in this beautiful jacket at Judge Janine's book party. Thomas Knipp is a great guy. (laughs) I love him. I do. I love him. I got to tell you, all my friends and my wife, all great attorneys, all the horrible things people say about attorneys, I don't know. Find a better foursome than Danielle, Joseph, Audie, and Thomas. Good luck. We'll take a short break. When we get back, he's one of Donald Trump's best buddies and confidant, Roger Stone. This is a big one. He's coming up next. Hour four of your favorite talk show in New York City. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. You can actually go to the WABC radio uh, app, which you ought to load into your cell phone. 
lot of great uh, folks there. Rudy Giuliani, uh, Frank Marano, uh, Larry Kudlow, Cindy Adams, Andrew Giuliano. Andrew Giuliani, pardon me, Sid uh, Rosenberg was going to be with me tomorrow morning, or I'm going to be with him tomorrow morning, and you're going to want to check that out. I like Roger Stone. He drops my name all over the place, as he should. He called me the great Sid Rosenberg two days ago, so somebody's obviously told him that uh, we get 7.0 ratings at this station. Congratulations to us. Everybody else struggles to get a three. We get a seven. But a great show this morning. Audie Idala, Curtis Sliwa, Bo Deedle, Bernie Carrick, Larry Trump, Thomas Knipp moments ago, Daniel Penny's attorney. And we do end here with Roger, who is now part of our family, does a great show. That was not uh, from the ABC show. That's 3 o'clock Sundays. He does some other thing called, like, Frank TV. Does Frank Morano own that? Frank TV. So here he is, uh, Donald Trump confidant and uh, a buddy of ours, too, the great Roger Stone. Roger, good morning. How are you, pal? Sid, it is uh, great to be with you. Uh, I do do a daily show. You can actually find it at stonezone.live at 5 o'clock, and it's hosted at frankspeech.com, and they are no connection to Frank Deep Dish Pizza (laughs) Marana. Okay, because it looked great. I actually, one of uh, my listeners, uh, I know you know him, he's a friend of yours too, Sal Greco, Anytime you mention my name, anytime you do something that he deems worthy enough, which is almost daily, he sends me the video, and it looks great. It looks like, you know, I'm watching Fox News, and, of course, uh, you're on top of every big story, especially Donald Trump. So let's get to it. Your friend is about to be arraigned in a court in Miami in about um, about six hours. I know what you've I've heard you had to say here at ABC and Frank TV, but for listeners who haven't, what do you think about this arraignment, and what does it mean for the president moving forward? Well, I think it's a very sad day for America. We do not have the equal application of justice in this country. Uh, It's very clear if one reads the New York Post, for example, that the House Republicans have discovered absolute proof of egregious uh, corruption, crime, uh, influence peddling, perhaps even treason uh, by members of the Biden crime. Well, let me stop you for one second, because I have uh, Nancy Mace has become a very good friend of mine, the South Carolina congresswoman. She's on the show now just uh, about every week. And she's part of that committee with Jim Colmer and all those folks that you're talking about, Roger. And I said, you know, Nance, uh, like Roger just said, you've got all this proof. I said, until you show them bank records with Joe's name on it, not Uncle Jimmy, not Hunter, until you show them that, they're going to treat everything else like circumstantial evidence. And I have to tell you, Roger, she agreed, and so have others on this show. So we've got overwhelming evidence, yes, yes. And anybody else will be arrested at this point. But until we get actual bank records, we're not going to get what we want, Roger. That's my prediction. Uh, I agree with that. If one looks at the Patriot Sentinel, they've actually published the bank records. I believe they're real, but that's up for the House Republicans. Look, there's, there's enough here. There's far more here to justify the impeachment of Joe Biden than there ever was to justify the impeachment of Donald Trump. Agreed. If we're going to have one standard. But, look, I was really honored to have the president on my WABC show, the Roger Stone show, my first show on Sunday. Um, it was uh, amazing how cool, how relaxed, how expansive he was. Uh, look, I think this guy thrives in crisis, to be honest with you. So while I think it is a sad day, uh, I was delighted to have him. What does bother me is when those – in the media distort what both he and I said. I have said repeatedly that if a person chooses to go to Miami to uh, demonstrate their support for the president and to protest the outrageousness of these charges, they must keep it peaceful, civil, 
orderly and legal. I've said it repeatedly. Uh, is I'm not going to be there myself. I have a show to do. But uh, I've said that repeatedly. Today you have a piece in today's New York Post saying people are concerned that, that Stone and Laura Loomer have called for violence. No, we've oh, done nothing on. of the kind. Oh, come on. No, no. I, I, listen, first of all, the interview you did was great. So uh, congratulations. I heard the whole thing. We played it uh, early Monday morning. We played a bunch of cuts uh, of you and President Trump on this show yesterday. And, yes, you absolutely said peacefully you did not encourage any violence. But that goes back to January 6th. I mean, we remember the president. Yes, he spoke for an hour. Yes, he maybe only said once, go peacefully. But he did say it. He did say it. And yet they still want to pin on him this ridiculous notion that he, quote, unquote, incited a riot. So with that said, Roger, even though you never said that, are you worried even a little that maybe some of these Trump supporters may lose control in Miami today? What concerns me more is that there will be agents provocateur in the crowd, as they, I believe there was on January 6th, which is why I've said to people, do not be goaded, do not be stampeded into doing something stupid, because uh, you can't put that outside the realm of possibility. I think there'll be a very big turnout. South Florida loves Donald Trump, as they should. Uh, and, uh, Sid, I appreciate your playing those clips on the show. This is why you are so great, by the way. <laughs> you're just like me. If I play uh, your voice, you're great. If you play mine, I'm great. Uh, when you say, thank you, Roger, when, when you say a big turnout, you want to give me a number? I, I don't even know. 2,000, 1,000. Uh, How many folks do you think uh, will show up? I, I, I really have no idea. Other than talking about this on my shows and posting it on Twitter, I have not been directly involved in the organization of it, but I know many, many Cuban-American groups, many Republican groups, uh, many uh, freedom-oriented groups have been actively putting together car caravans and so on. And once again, I urge people, if you go, keep it peaceful, keep it legal, keep it civil. But but you're worried about something that I think uh, you strike a chord here with me, and you said agents, but whether it's George Soros, uh, any one of these Democrats with a lot of money, I know he's turned his business over to his son at this point, his $25 billion, whatever it is. But uh, a guy like that could easily pay some Antifa members, somebody to go in the crowd and start a ruckus. So now that you brought that up, that is absolutely a possibility today. And, and let me tell you, Roger, that would be a disaster for President Trump. Yes, it would be, it would be unfairly blamed on him and his supporters, which is why people need to act responsibly. Uh, it is absolutely crucial. Otherwise, this enormous demonstration of support for the president could backfire. So people have to make their own decisions about whether to go. But if you go, you need to you need to conduct yourself in a completely lawful and, and intelligent manner. This is Roger Stone, three o'clock every Sunday here at WABC, does his own daily show, too, at five o'clock. He's really terrific. You know, Roger, when uh, they bombarded and they broke into Mar-a-Lago, they were you know, like a SWAT team and a, and a whole thing. It was eerily reminiscent of what they did to you. And not long after they broke into your place in Fort Lauderdale, you were on with me and my late partner, Bernard, talking about, I mean, just how much firepower and people they used. You're a nice guy hanging out in Fort Lauderdale. You would have thought they were trying to get Pablo Escobar. But this is another thing that they seem to do. If they don't like you, they use excessive power and force and numbers and weapons for guys like you and Trump who were never, ever going to put up a fight. Uh, You're absolutely right, uh, Sid. I mean, uh, look, uh, on the morning of January 25th, 29 heavily armed, FBI agents in full SWAT gear, brandishing fully automatic M4 assault weapons, uh, stormed my home to take me into custody for the first time, nonviolent, 
alleged crime of lying under oath to Congress about Russian collusion, which we now know is not even possible because there was no Russian collusion. I read a great interview at uh, Revolver.News with a veteran FBI uh, uh, individual out of the Miami office who said the raid on me and the raid on Donald Trump was completely outside their regular procedures and that the raid in Mar-a-Lago was ordered from Washington and was conducted from Washington over the objections of some in the Miami bureau. Yeah, that Durham report, you would have thought would have would have said all that. But you do realize, Roger, that, for example, I do my show from the, the studios here on Third Avenue, and we've got a newsroom a couple of feet away, and we've got these really big, beautiful TVs, and they're on all morning long, and they're on everything from Fox News to MSNBC. And I remember that morning, the Durham report, you know, comes out and clear Russia was a hoax, blah, blah, blah. And they're going, nope, I don't care what Durham says. He's wrong. What we've been saying for three years is right. So it doesn't even matter anymore. Mueller report, Durham report, good report, bad report. They still go on the air, these irresponsible liberal media networks, and they report what they want to report and just cast aside anything, even if it's factual. They don't care. And guess what, Roger? The American public, they buy it. Yeah, it's very, very sad people don't think. Uh, But, I mean, in all honesty, Mr. Durham uh, took his sweet time to ensure that those that he uh, exposed for crimes would not be prosecuted. And then he did the unthinkable. He prosecuted three individuals at the lowest level of this crime family. Sid, it would be like prosecuting the driver uh, in a bank robbery for double parking (laughs) while you let let the bank robbers not only testify against the driver, thus incriminating themselves, but you also let them keep the spoils of the bank robbery. That is funny, and you're right. That's a very, very good analogy. Roger Stone here again. Check him out, folks, 3 o'clock on uh, on Sunday afternoon. So I have all these great attorneys on the show. Arthur Idala was on today. You know, me and Joe Tacopina, we went to poly prep together in the fifth grade. We're friends for 46 years. So I got a pretty good insight uh, on and off the air as to what's going on in all these Trump cases. And they all seem to agree that this one is tough. You know, they know the uh, the Bragg one in New York. That's a joke. They're not worried about Georgia or January 6th. But after reading the indictment on Friday, Roger, a lot of these big-time attorneys agreed this one may be a little tough. I know you love Trump. So do I. And I do think eventually he'll prevail. But when you saw this indictment, what were you thinking? Uh, uh, look, I found this uh, really unsettling. Uh, I'm not an attorney. I've tried to wade through this indictment. Uh, I had David Schoen on my show, who was yep. one of yep. Trump's attorneys in the uh, impeachment. I think literally one of the most brilliant legal minds in the country. Uh, he's going to be on my show this upcoming Sunday on WABC. Nice. Uh, at 3 o'clock, uh, you can go to the to the WABCradio.com to hear it, or you can go to the WABC radio app to hear it. Or if you live in the greater New York, New Jersey area, uh, you can go find it at 770 on the dial. Look at you. Uh, <laughs> thank God for John Katsimatidis, who's single-handedly saving AM radio. True. Ford and Tesla want to end, uh, you know, AM radio receivers in, in their upcoming generation of motor vehicles. And I think that that's dangerous. First of all, the emergency broadcast system is based in AM radio. And secondarily, 
people won't be able to listen to Sid Rosenberg. So, <laughs> come on. Oh, thank you. Or Roger Stone. Actually, um, Chad Lopez, the president of this company, as we speak this morning, Roger, is in Washington, D.C., lobbying on behalf of Saving AM Radio. It's a three-day affair. So, yes, John and uh, Chad, the whole crew, even Mike Pence jumped in and tried to help out. Uh, seems to be something that they care very much about. And as you point out, Roger, they should. So we'll wrap this up. Tomorrow is our friend's 77th birthday, President Donald Trump. What will Roger Stone do tomorrow for Donald Trump on his birthday? Uh, I intend to call the president and wish him a happy birthday. Uh, uh, will, you si- will, you, will you sing happy birthday to him? I, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Well, let, me hear, let me hear right now. Just give it a shot. Just get, like the first two verses. Uh, Come on, Roger. Come on. Uh, I'm, I'm Noel Jolson. That's okay. Come on. Let's hear it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Donald. And I'm allowed to call him that. Happy birthday to you. I got to tell you, you sold yourself short, man. I mean, let's not Marilyn Monroe for the Kennedys, but it's a close second. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I, I really consider myself to be uh, pretty challenged in the singing. No, that area. was great. That was great. Sinatra, I am not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will tell you this. You're a great mind and a great friend of the president and mine. And uh, I'm really happy you're at the station. I really am. Your show was great last week. Your interview with Trump was great. I look forward to showing coming up uh, this Sunday. So keep talking, Roger Stone. Continued success here. And welcome to the family, pal. Sad. Sid, thank you very much for having me. God bless you. God bless you, too. Roger Stone, folks. Check him out 3 o'clock every Sunday afternoon. He's great. That's my man, Roger Stone. Take a short break. Back with Sid Rosenberg right after these words. game tonight because you just found a new bumper roger stone singing happy birthday to trump epping fantastic i said yeah i got him to do it he said that's what you do no one else a real skill talent let me know if i'm producing the show on the 26th he wants to come out there june 26th that's going to be fun my uh my longtime friend of 25 years richie salgado aka big daddy Daddy uh, became friendly. I told you this yesterday with Neil O'Donnell when he was a quarterback at Maryland. Neil went on to um, quarterback the Steelers to a Super Bowl. They lost to Dallas. That was a game where he found Larry Brown a bunch of times. <laughs> then he went to the Jets. But anyway, he was a pretty good quarterback. And uh, Big Daddy there has the biggest connections in NFL circles of anyone I know for like 25 years. So it turns out June 25th, a couple of Sundays is my 31-year wedding anniversary to my beautiful wife, Danielle, who was listening earlier. She's probably in court by now at the office. 
And um, I'm trying to figure out what to do. So it, here's what happens. So the day after that is Monday, June 26th, and this big annual golf tournament that Big Daddy puts on, it's the sixth annual golf tournament, and he gets the biggest names. For example, this year, real possibilities include Tom Brady, Daniel Jones, Aaron Rodgers, Eli Manning, the biggest names in NFL. So he's putting this golf tournament on on Monday the, um, the 26th. And he says to me, he goes, the day before Sunday, you know, you may be better served if you stay by the golf course and just wake up the next morning and go to work. I said, that sounds great. So a lot of you folks have heard of this place. Most of you have. It's called the Ohika Castle. It's a real castle. It's a gorgeous place. Gorgeous. Huntington, Long Island. Ohika Castle. And that's where this this, uh, golf tournament is. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay at the castle and then do our show that next Monday morning live from the course. And Pete Morgan heard all these names. He's a big NFL giant guy. And he wants to help produce that day. So, What do you think the chances are that I could play in the golf outing? I mean, none. Why not? Because you just can't. You don't think Big Daddy will let me play? No, I think he would if I asked him to. But I'm not going to. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So that's... Well, how am I going to say a Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Eli Manning, and Justin Ellick? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. No. You think you've reached that status now. <laughs> I... <laughs> I'll call you Jellick. That sounds cool. Yeah. How about Favre and Jellick? I feel like you can genuinely get me into a group with, like, you know... Oh, I know I Daniel can. Daniel Jones and... Right. Tom Brady and... Aaron but you're Ryan. an Eagle fan, so you hate Daniel Jones. Right. And I don't want you anywhere near my football giant players. Yeah. See, even uh, Jimmy's giving me the the, uh, the heads up there. Yeah. All right. Jimmy. Do you even play golf? Yes. Oh, God, you're terrible. <laughs> you can see Tom Brady. Yeah, can I play with that guy? Yeah. That's... That's hey, Tom, that's Jellick. No I way. Yeah, I heard exactly. of Jellick. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I heard of Jellick. Yeah. yeah. That's the real By the way, Justin he's Howard. the guy banging Giselle right now. That's me. Yeah. That yeah. is me. Oh, what God. kind of golf are you, anyway? Uh, just like a regular old... He doesn't even know the game. He has no idea. What's your handicap besides clubs. being retarded? <laughs> My handicap is 18. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not very good. I'm an 18 handicap. That's terrible. I get a hole. I get. I get. I'm a bogey golfer. Yeah, it's better than me. I, I mean, I can't That's talk. Definitely way better than you. The last time I sh- I played golf, I swear to God, I shot 104. Right. That was the front nine. Yeah. <laughs> whoa! Whoa! That was funny. I tell you, I get no respect. No respect no at respect. all. No respect. When I was drinking, I I didn't mind playing. I got to send a shout out quickly. I love this guy. Huge fan of the show from Total Resto, Chris Rusis. Chris Rusis from Total Restoration. You know, there's so many guys in this city, whether it's Joe from Rightway or Chris from Total Restoration or Charlie today, that his, his place also was a part. They all have our show on all morning long. People walk in, they go, is that Sid? And I hear these stories, and I got to tell you, I, I love it. So well, thank you to Chris. Um, for listening and, and the whole thing. So I, um, when I was drinking years ago, I'd go to these uh, golf tournaments. I've been invited every year. Scott and I did the show every year from Lake Tahoe. And that was a great show because, you know, we'd sit down with us. I mean, we had every, I'm not, I'm not lying. We had Jordan. We had Elway. We had Oscar De La Hoya. And we even had Dan Quayle off of the whole potato-potato thing, you know. Barkley, you know, the, the biggest stars in sports would sit with us. It's a huge event, the Celebrity Golf Tournament in Lake Tahoe. That's where Ben Roethlisberger got into trouble, you know. And then we go to these uh, tournaments in Florida all the time. 
And, uh, you know, Sandy Kopax, for example, plays down in Boca almost every day. Back then he did, at least going back 15 years ago. And then my buddy, who ran the place up in Maine, Sugarloaf, one of the nicest ski resorts in the country, in the winter they do that. In the summer they play golf and go on the lake. And they've got a gorgeous golf course. I remember one time I, um, yeah, I was still drinking, and uh, Scott and I, and they put us on the course, and about three holes in, I was hot. It was like 90 degrees. I took my shirt off. And I'm riding around on the golf course with no shirt on, and, you know, some dickhead comes by in his golf cart and goes, uh, so you got to put your shirt back on. And I did pull uh, a Reese Witherspoon. I said, do you know who you're talking to? And the guy said, no, I don't know who I'm talking to, but it doesn't matter. You have to wear a shirt on the golf course. I said, well, it's too hot. I'm not putting it on. And I didn't put it on. And I was about a quarter of the way through a jug of Bloody Mary's, which was uh, loaded with vodka. I mean, there was barely any tomato juice, you know. And then I had to uh, relieve myself, and I was too far from the stupid 19th hole, whatever the hell it's called, you know, Justin. I was like on the third or fourth hole. I was miles away from the, the clubhouse. Yeah. So I did what every red-blooded American male will do. I, 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 I walked over to the bush right there, pulled down my pants, and peed in the woods. Um, naturally, yeah. So now the same guy comes back. He goes, so you're not wearing a shirt and you're peeing on the golf course. That ain't right. You're allowed to pee on the golf course. Well, they threw me out. No. Oh, why? I can't even imagine. You ready for this? No. Lifetime ban. <laughs> oh, my God. So here we are. <laughs> we were like number one at the time up in Maine, Scott and I. We were on about 65 markets across America, doing very well in places like Kansas City, Vegas, L.A. Yes, before I was uh, a big star here, even before Bernie, I was a big star all over the country. And they threw me out forever. I can never go back and play golf there ever again. They know who you are. You know Roger Stone. Well, I, I, I got to figure now if you I go Roger there Stone. and I say I know Roger Stone. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they'd let you play. Yeah. You couldn't pay me. And then I always got the same blister on my thumb in the same exact spot because I hit the ball incorrectly, you know. I go up there like a baseball bat. Yeah. And then the worst part of it is you got to spend like five hours with the same poor jerk or so. Who wants to do that? Got to hear about your stupid kids and your job, and no one cares. All day. All day, the same four idiots. Everybody goes back in, they sit down, they're all sweating, fat, and nasty with the same stupid outfit. They wear the glasses on their hat. What is that about? Stories, stupid stories. Right, stupid stories. And the glasses on the hat, and then they sit down, they get hammered, Mm -hmm. and then they have this stupid awards dinner, Mm -hmm. and they're all hooting and hollering like they did something big that day, like they beat Tiger Woods, you know, like (laughs) Jesper Parnovic or something. Uh Oh, I remember on the 14th, you fell. Oh, that was great. Congratulations to uh, Jimmy Schiebel. He just won the longest drive award. (laughs) I call you nuts. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right anyway. All right. Well, are you done with that? Uh, that was a really great rant. I'm sure Thank everybody you. really learned a lot of useful information. <laughs> but you know what's funny is I love, but I, I love golf. Like, I watch every major golf event on TV. I, I could tell you every player. And it's, PGA about, and it's about to get lives. way more exciting, by the way. I know. Yeah. But, but to play golf, I, I don't know. I, I love I, it. I, I think I'd rather be, i, I got to think of something really bad, like, uh. Give me something really bad that could happen to me. Uh, uh, you, uh, uh, a Baghdad uh, prison. Uh, I'll take that. I'll take right. a Baghdad right. prison over playing golf. Sugarloaf and Avalanche. Okay. I'll take that. Over uh, golf. Yeah. Right. I'll even take, like, losing two fingers in an industrial accident or something like that. I'm a like firm that. believer that if I had chosen to play golf as a child growing up, I would be playing professional golf right now. What makes you what – is, what is it with you that you think everything – I mean, I know you, you're a decent baseball player, not great. You're a horrible hockey player. What are you talking about horrible? I played horrible. Four, I played four years well, of varsity well, hockey. Well, you think you're like well, Bo Jackson. we didn't Jackson. have a JV team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're, you're like, you think you're like Bo Jackson or yeah. Deion Sanders. Yeah. 
Yes. Why? Because I'm the Jewish Bo Jackson. <laughs> I guess. Maybe you are. I don't yeah, know. Why not? Why not? I don't know. You're so fat and out of shape now. And what? You'd never know it at any point you're an athlete in your life. You'd never even know it. You don't think so? If your mother didn't tell me all the time. Adina, not with that, too, by the way. Could you stop texting me? My God. <laughs> no, no, she's uh, not. All of my she's Instagram, not Adina Olin. She's, she's not still doing that. <laughs> Well, are you not? She doesn't stop. Where's your father? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get one more Dina Olin message. You're crazy. No, no I'm not crazy. <laughs> All right, I, I got to see these. I gotta Why? See, I got to see them. I'm not going to show them. I need to monitor the situation. You're going to have to get Jim Comer, hold me contempt in court. <laughs> Erroneous! Erroneous on all counts! <laughs> okay. Well, how do I know Adina Olin? How do I know that name then? <laughs> Is that is that her name? Yeah. Okay. It's like so codes like yeah. six oils. Come <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got to take a break. What, what's coming up next? God, this is such a you good show. You got to give out the number. You got to do a game. I don't know. I'm, 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 I might have to resign after this. All right, the contestant one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C one eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Talk Radio seventy seven W A B C. Boy, now it's time. For Sid's take. Sid's take. Sid's take, yeah! Good luck. It's Sid's take. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Tuesday morning. Trucking right along here in your Tuesday installment of the Fearless Boilers Sid's take trivia game. Briefly, I need to get up and shut the door. And while Justin does that, we'll keep listening to the music interlude. Hey, it was Justin. quick. I'm back. Welcome back. Hey, thank you. Justin Ellick here. Uh, the game, again, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Spoilers. Go to PeerlessSpoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. I'm talking to my mother right now about her behavior as of late. It just needs to stop. I mean, it just needs to stop, Ma. Okay? Clearly, she's denying it. Yeah. Vehemently. Sid who? Yeah, exactly. Let's play dumb. That, that's really smart. Can't get by me. Can't get anything by me. Our contestant for today's game, Glenn, out in Howard Beach. Hey, Glennie. What's up, my man? Listen, uh, just a man. Did uh, what's his name ever go to? Uh, did did ever go to Verizon yesterday in Howard Beach? Because I, I live around the corner. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, uh, you know, uh, we didn't uh, put a hell. tracker on him yesterday. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We lost. <laughs> we, we, his chip fell out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all Just right, Glenn. Here. We got we got to blow through this game here. We're running a little low on time. All right, you got it. Two for Tuesday. I give you two songs. You got to tell me who they're by. Here we go. Number one, Strutton, and I've got the spirit. Strutton. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I'd say Kiss, but no. Nope. Billy Preston. Billy Preston is the correct answer. On to number two, or for one, greatest love of all, and one moment in time. It is love. Streisand. Oh. Whitney Houston. Uh-huh. On to number three, over two, Glenn. Love mm-hmm. Bites and Bringing On the Heartbreak. Love Bites. Uh, Motley Crow. Oh. <laughs> Def Leppard. Over three. On to okay. number four. Close. Yeah. End of the line and... Handle with care. End of the line and handle with care. No idea. Oh! Traveling Wilburys be the correct answer there. On to number five. 
over four. Glenn, this one in an attempt to go one for five. Yeah, and, I, I went five for five the last time. Just so. Oh no, I remember. Oh, I remember. Oh, we had the track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one, this one, you should be able to get. Angie and brown sugar. Stones. All right, Glenn. thank you, Justin. Yeah, don't mention it, man. Appreciate you. Um... you have a great, you have a great day. Okay. Yeah, you have a great day as listen. well. Yeah, you listen. Make sure, uh, make sure he can do better than uh, one for five. Okay, so five for five, one for five. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll keep you on hold here, Glenn. You got a chance to listen to the big guy. Let's you, do this. You got to just go two for five to win today's game. Okay. It's it's what is today's uh, version? Two for Tuesday. Two for Tuesday. All right. Hurrah. So I think you're like over your last fifteen. Not so up. we we can uh, we can rebound. Don't worry right. about what happened yesterday. It's about tomorrow. Okay. Oh, right now I should say. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Number one, Strutton, and I've got the spirit. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Who was that? Billy Preston. See, Billy Preston. Didn't he sing uh, like a love song with? Uh, well, I don't even remember. Fine, go ahead. I didn't get it. You know, he, had, he had bigger songs. Yeah. But, yeah well, I, mean, no. I can't give you the biggest song of all these artists, or else right. it'll be so, the easiest. So give game us ever. a song that no one's ever heard of and expect us to get it. I mean, exactly. You, yeah. I mean, it's so. incredible. You're so dumb. <laughs> yeah. I, can't I mean, it's incredible. Like, I can't believe how dumb you are. Yeah. Yeah. On to number two, greatest love of all in one moment in time. Whitney Houston. One for two. The greatest love of all, I think, was actually written by and performed by George Benson. Really? The original version. And she just made it famous. Is that the one that goes, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well. That's George Benson, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you got it right anyway. I don't know if that's the same song. Yeah. Yeah, Same song. Okay. Okay. Same song. Maybe. Okay, same thing. Number three. Okay, number three. See you later. (laughs) Love bites and bringing on the heartbreak. Oh, come on, Def Leppard. Hey, oh! Two for three. I told Nancy Mace that um, she should sing um, Happy Birthday for Trump tomorrow like Marilyn Monroe, you know. Okay. That's original. Good. Yeah. So she just answered me. She said, ha, 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 ha. That's what Nancy Mace. Yo, dang, you're a caution. See? <laughs> yeah, she talks you like really that. You really are. <laughs> I, I think yeah. I'll sing it for you first, see how it goes. You know, well, Frank O'Hara is the guy that put Nancy Mace on this show, and I gave Mike Sullivan credit for Thomas Kniff, but that was Frank O'Hara, too. So, former FBI uh, guy and uh, just a terrific overall guy, Frank right. O'Hara gets right. the credit for that. Well, Nancy Mace is like my buddy now, you know. Yeah. Frank O'Hara, you can find him on Frank TV. I could, I, could play, I could play free golf in uh, Myrtle Beach, but I just hate golf. So. Right. Immaculate reception is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Close. Frank O'Hara is very good. Let's go. Oh, okay. Thanks. On uh, number four, you already won today's game. End of the line and handle with care. End of the line is, uh, oh, it's easy. It's uh, on the line. It's uh, the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, the traveling Wilburys. Oh, that's right. It is. It? Yeah. Yeah. On to number five, Angie and Brown Sugar. Rolling Stones. There we go. He only got one right that time? Yeah. A couple of those are really easy. I know. Good game. Written by Justin Ellick. Hosted by Justin Ellick. Yes, the same Justin Ellick that will not play golf. Hmm? On June 26th. Well, I, uh, Doug uh, Kisler says it's a bad idea for Why? You to play. Why? What does Doug know? Doug knows a lot of things. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Doug is a very smart man. Very smart man. But what does he know about this? He just it's, thinks it's, it's a bad idea. It's a bad precedent to have the, uh, the producer playing golf with Tom Brady. Yeah, but it would be after the show. Like, I won't be doing anything. But they start before the show. And so I, you're I, just going to walk into the eighth hole. Hey, guys, I'm here. Hey, uh, Brady. 
How's it, how's it gonna happen? I don't understand. Nah. They, they're gonna tee off, I would imagine, during the show. I, I would think. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Frank's, maybe they tee off at like ten thirty. Yeah, Who knows? Maybe bring some golf balls that aren't inflated. That they're gonna they're gonna make me sit. They're gonna make yeah, but they're gonna make us <laughs> sit. They're gonna make us sit here in in the control room while you're over there doing the no, show. No, no. Uh, there's one. For, no, Lou has to stay here, obviously. Right. But there is one producer coming with me. All right. Well, well do you have another producer other <laughs> than me? <laughs> Who's your other producer? Oh, that other guy in the yeah. other room. Yeah. Well, it would, I mean, I, I guess it's you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ernie, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Ernie Acosta. Uh, yeah. No, Acosta. He produces at FAN. He wants to produce that day. What? But he works for a different show. He does the midday show at FAN. And I, uh, I he works for a different company. And he's, yeah, right. he's not even in the same house. I know, but, yeah. but I told him I'm, I'm considering it. So. All right. Well, it's a see you later, and uh, have a nice life. <laughs> okay. I mean, God. Uh, what, we, what, what is this? What? I, I, I is there any what? such thing as loyalty? Uh, what? 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 Ernie, of course. What? Uh, a cost. Uh, Nobody cares. even knows who this guy is. Who what do you mean? His beningos and my mortality. Oh, oh, please. Big deal. He doesn't oh, work yeah. here. Oh, please. Wow. I can still tell him. No. <laughs> Why are you guys yelling at me? Uh, uh, just get Eddie Scazzari to come yeah. over, too, and do the damn thing. Uh, you know what? Let me, uh, let me text Eddie right now. Screw off. I don't know. Jeez. It's Sid's Take, sponsored by... Fearless boilers and pavilion tankless water heaters on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Hysteria, Def Leppard, that's it. Hysteria today. Folks, be careful down in Miami. Don't let these people, even the hired ones by Soros and everybody, get you all ginned up and start a big deal down there. Just show up, support President Trump. Let him go home and celebrate his birthday tomorrow. We will celebrate his birthday tomorrow. Put on some great guests for you. Donald Trump, 77 tomorrow. Great show today. The guests were all tremendous. Lou Rafino, Jellic, and uh, Noam Layden, Jimmy, too. I love Jimmy. Guy's terrific news guy, and a really nice guy, too. So, thank you to everybody today. We're going to come back and kick your ass again tomorrow. But until 6 a.m. on a Wednesday, enjoy your Tuesday in New York City. From all of us to all of you. Peace! See you at the Met game tonight.